You're listening to Twitch Asylum Video Game Radio. Welcome to Twitch Asylum Podcast number nine. Number nine. Number nine. And it's a month late. Or is it or something like two that? Weeks it's, a couple, late? it's two weeks late. So why is that, Tom? It's it's bi weekly late. <laughs> <laughs> right? No. Or is it semi monthly late? I don't know. We're not it's, late. We do it when we feel now, like Chris it. Now Chris was in California. Yep, that's at right. California Extreme looking at retro video game stuff and also visiting apparently the site of the original Sierra building, right? That's right. So what happened is uh, my wife, Amy, uh, we took her little brother who's 12, and, and she had planned it. And we were supposed to go you know, to uh, Yosemite, but apparently and she had reserved the hotel, and it was all cool and stuff. But uh, yeah. it turns out there was a road closure, so we had to go to the other portion of Yosemite, and it turns out the closest place to stay was in Oakhurst. Oh, wow. So that sounds familiar, right? Oakhurst, California. That's the original Sierra location. Like we talked about in our Sierra episode. Exactly. So... Uh, I actually talked to quite a few people there, you know, and said, do you remember Sierra, this game company and stuff? And everybody, like, had fond memories of it. It was really kind of cool to hear. And, like, one guy, his daughter, apparently was in one of their games. Oh, really? One of their later games, apparently. So that was kind of cool. And uh, but they pointed out where the original headquarters was. We went there. We took pictures. And that's all available online. So you can go check it out. Some other stuff I did when we were in California. Went to Great America, the amusement park. It was pretty (laughs) cool. And we went to San Francisco. But the real reason that we went there was uh, to go to California Extreme, which is the video game, classic video game show, really all arcade games, and we'll talk about that in the discussion segment. Cool. And we also have a special guest yeah. this episode. And he's uh, he's actually famous. He's been on the podcast before. Uh, we referred to him. He's he's the person that called you a dumbass, Tom. Yeah, I think that's right. I thought, I thought it was idiots. No, he's no, a dumbass. dumbass. Dumb- Definitely okay. dumbass. Okay. Do you, do you still uh, think Tom's a dumbass? Uh I, I I hold back. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this episode, what are we doing? Besides uh, talking about the uh, California Extreme. Well, we're talking about California Extreme. We're talking about uh, the making of Robotron, and but mainly by popular request, we're talking about Star Wars games and the history of Star Wars games. That's right, and it's mostly going to be about how much George Lucas is a genius. That's right, because he's a true genius. <laughs> and why episode one was the best of all the... And no. Jar Jar Binks is the best character ever made. Yeah, yes. <laughs> and really should star in many video games. All right, so I guess it's going to be a long show, so let's get on to the discussion. All right, let's go. Upward and onward. Awesome video games. <laughs> All right, welcome to the discussion. Today we're talking about California Extreme. It's an arcade show in uh, San Jose, California. So by arcade, are these stand-up or is it just all video games? It's all stand-up. It's oh, all so it's like retro stand-up. Actually, arcade. they have a, some modern stuff too, a lot of modern arcade games. Okay. But uh, one of the coolest parts, at least what I find... <laughs> <laughs> what was that? 
Apparently the paper shredder. Oh, he's shredding some paper before, and apparently he just <laughs> it decided to finish the job. It, yeah. It wow. Stood, it stood up for us. It's I, I thought for a second we were going to be attacked by robots or something. Because <laughs> well, that was a scary noise. I was like, this it sounds that just was, like my Roomba. That was weird. Yeah, your Roomba. My Roomba sounds just okay, like Okay, so California right, so, Extreme, how many people were there? How big was the show? It was huge. I don't know how many people were there. Well, though. hundreds, thousands? Why not? No, there was a lot. Probably, probably thousands, I'd say. Cool. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's it takes up a huge portion of the San Jose. Like, it's an off portion of the convention center, like um, one of the. the oh, wasn't the San Jose Convention Center? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a pretty cool. Well, it's there. actually one of the auxiliary. I, mean, I don't remember what the name of it, hmm. of it is, but uh, one of the buildings. But yeah, it was pretty large. Uh, and like I was saying before, the uh, the paper shredder went off. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> one of the coolest parts of of the conference is. Uh, is going to listen to speeches uh, or presentations made by people that used to be in the arcade industry, or maybe they still are, but they're definitely the developers of like classic arcade games. Uh-huh. And this time, really, the person that I think was kind of the the main attraction uh, from that perspective was uh, Eugene Jarvis, creator and, of Robotron. Uh, Robotron, Defender. He made uh, several other games and worked on pinball machines as well. It was really cool. They had a, a presentation called "The Making of Robotron," and he talked to a lot of about you know what it was like to develop it, you know the process that they went through. What was kind of cool is he went into a lot of technical details, which I believe you know most people went right over their head. But I was totally into it. So. <laughs> cool. <laughs> so uh, he kind of went through like some of the hardware. They started, I guess, with the Defender hardware on Robotron, uh, which had a whopping forty-eight kilobytes of RAM and thirty-two kilobytes of ROM. How much RAM does your phone have? I don't know. He said that it probably takes more uh, RAM to have the cursor in Windows, I believe, was one of his comments. To have the cursor in yeah, Windows? Yeah, he believes so. Wow. Yeah. And uh, at least for Williams, it was the first time they'd use a graphics coprocessor. There were only two to three people on the hardware team, and he said this is the first game that he had used an artist for, which is pretty <laughs> interesting. He said, why would you ever need to use an artist in a game? Yeah, we're nerds. We'll just you know, do it ourselves. I don't remember the art being that out, out, you know, fantastic. It, it wasn't fantastic, but apparently they, they used <laughs> but, an artist. But they had an artist, too. Yeah. Uh, he talked a little bit about the development system they used. He said it was pretty much a straightforward assembly. But one of the things they did that was different, I guess, than what they'd done in the past is they, they used a... Uh, they separated, you know, modules into different files so they could easily, like, change certain aspects of the game and it wouldn't take much at all to restart it which is kind of cool hmm. uh they said that mo- he said that modular code was the rage at the time and this is kind of how they <laughs> how they approach that so one of the things that i found most interesting about the way they did the development on robotron is the uh, software operating system he said it was multi-threaded which i don't think that's an accurate representation of what it was because he went on to talk about that it's a linked list of processes with a dispatcher so i don't hmm. know how that's multi-threaded but like it's old school. It's probably threading. cooperative. Oh, it's like green threads on Linux or something yeah. like that, right? So, mm-hmm. like each each thread would say yield. But here's a really cool yeah. part. He says that the way they developed Robotron, uh, you know, there's tons of robots and stuff on the screen. He said each one of those was a, a separate process. So wow. uh, basically, it was to me that sounds very object oriented. Yeah, like you'd have all these uh, robots, and he said all code was reentrant. They didn't have any global variables, and they could just they wanted more robots to just throw some more threads in this dispatcher with those kind of things and have it execute. Which to wow. me was pretty dang cool. And at the time, that was probably a pretty unusual thing to do, right? You would think, yeah. But hmm. I guess that's why. I mean, I don't know how maybe other systems did it, but I wouldn't think that they would have used that kind of kind of system. But but maybe they did. 
he went into a lot of the enemies and he talked about kind of how it got to where it was and it was kind of really funny to hear what the development process was he was like you know i just put an enemy on the screen and like his ai is go toward the person you know and like right <laughs> and just you know they do uh you know several cycles and then actually got it to where it was a fun game mm-hmm. you know so it's kind of I think how people do development today, like in yeah. software, you just start with something and you start kind of start simple, just yep. and tweak it till it gets better. Yeah, and one thing that he stressed that was really kind of funny is he says, "Don't ever eliminate bugs in your game because <laughs> those are the best parts of it." He said there was like a bunch of bugs, and apparently people took advantage of them to get high scores and stuff, and that's kind of what they liked about the game. Like there was one bug where you could get like these things called enforcers stuck in the corners. It's because he never thought to have like this allow a zero to be the timeout so like they could just get stuck huh. and people knew how to take advantage of this bug and it made the game better made it more it. interesting more right? interesting it was yeah. a strategy yeah well so. one of the things that's cool to me about robotron is the large number of enemies on the screen all at the same time yeah and i don't know if this was the first game that had all that going on or not but i know that even now when people see people play robotron and they haven't seen the game before they usually react like, well, how do you even tell what's going on? There's so much going on. It's yeah. kind of like what we always say about Geometry Wars, too. Right. It's the same kind of thing, right? And yeah. that's what and I was going to say. I, my most vivid memory of Robotron is how frenetic the activity was. It's just like things are going on. Your heart rate goes up immediately. <laughs> yeah. right. And that could be where the artist is. I don't know that like, the pixels are that detailed, but there was a lot of like color and explosions. The colors and, are nice. And going everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I like the... the the civilians, you know, the little right. girl and the businessman and stuff. Are- he he mentioned those. They're really cool. Yeah. He mentioned those. Like, people brought up Geometry Wars, you know, because there's always comparisons being made. Mm-hmm. And he said, uh, he said he won't play Geometry Wars because there's no uh, family to save. <laughs> <laughs> it's Where, true. Where's the motivation? Yep, very true. So the other thing you talked about, obviously, what, what made uh, Robotron different in terms of controls than any other game out there? Having two joysticks. The dual joysticks, yeah. Dual two joysticks for the same player, let's put it that way. Yeah, exactly. He said that they, it started out as kind of a passive game. Uh, he didn't know why that it was passive, but apparently violence in games was maybe an issue at the time, or people were talking about it. So he's like, we're going to make this <laughs> thank, pa- thank goodness it's no longer an issue. Yeah, it's no longer an no issue. No one cares about no, violence in games now. Violence, great. So, uh, <laughs> so it started out where you basically want these robots to run into walls, and you'd have to move around and get them to run into the walls. And he said that he immediately found out that that totally sucked, it wasn't a fun game, so we had to go back to violence, and they're going to have to shoot the robots. So so he said they had a Berserk, and a lot of the game was actually based on Berserk. And you can see similarities, mm-hmm. right? Right, yeah. But he said it'd irritate him when he'd play Berserk, and he'd go to fire. He'd have to point with the joystick and hit fire at the same time. And a lot of times, that would make your guy move. Right. And sometimes he'd run into the wall and kill him. Yeah. And he's like, he couldn't figure out, you know, how to make this better. One day, he was like... Well, I use a joystick to point and then press fire. Why don't we just use a second joystick to fire? So, <laughs> good idea. To eliminate that kind of problem. So that's kind of how it happened. So it was interesting. And he also talked about the fact that the name uh, 2084, that was the original name of the game, but nobody could understand it. So uh, <laughs> Steve Ritchie is a guy that was on the Atari panel. I'll talk about him a bit uh, in the next uh, portion. He said, why not call it Robotron 2084? So that's how the name came, Robotron 2084. And I mean, during the conference, what was kind of cool is they kept showing how difficult the game was, and they'd have a guy go up and demonstrate different techniques of how to defeat the game. So mm-hmm. it was pretty cool. Cool. Did you learn any new strategies? Uh, no, I don't really. I mean, I've, 
not, didn't help me in Geometry Wars, if that's what you're asking. <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't played Robotron that much. I don't, I don't have that game. So, I mean, I want to get it someday, but I haven't got it yet. So Robotron is a game that I've, I've seen in some of the uh, retro collections, like for the PlayStation and stuff. It's on Xbox Live, too. And uh, I haven't tried it on Xbox Live, but I have tried some of the, the ones on PlayStation. And for some reason, with the dual joystick controller, you'd think it would work just fine, but it doesn't seem... All that much like the original. I think having the the arcade joysticks makes a big difference. Having the joysticks in your whole hand yeah, is, right. yeah. is a lot different than just moving it with your thumbs. Right, I totally agree. So the other conference I went to or, uh, was the Atari panel, and it was just a group of ex-Atari developers uh, answering questions. And it was pretty interesting. It had some pretty good stories. Uh, some of the people that were there, or the people that were there, Al... Alcorn, which you guys will probably know who that is. He's one of the co-founders of, of Atari, and he developed Pong as well. He's the original developer of Pong. Uh, Eugene Jarvis, we talked about earlier, he was involved in Atari Pinball, which I had no idea of until mm. uh, until I went to this panel. Steve Ritchie, he's a pretty famous pinball designer. He did a lot of the Williams games, Black Knight, Firepower, F-14, Tomcat, Terminator 2. Black Knight is a masterpiece. Yeah, that's that is, awesome. That is great. Ed Rotberg, he did Battlezone. And Dave Shepard was there as well, and he worked on a lot of games, um, but you know he didn't have a lead role, and he also worked on a lot of Atari tools. I just wrote down some interesting things that they talked about, so I thought people might be interested. Um, Al, Al Corny talked about the fact that him and uh, Nolan worked at Apex, and uh, he got hired away. Nolan hired him away from Apex for a thousand a month in stock <laughs> to Atari, um, and when he went to do Pong. He said, uh, you know, this is just a test project for the real game. We just want to see if you can get this thing up and running. And it turned <laughs> out that is the game they released. And people, a lot of people probably know the story of uh, them knocking off the Magnavox Odyssey. Uh, Ralph Bear and the Brown Box. Do you guys know that story? Anyway, apparently uh, Bushnell went to some show and saw this. You know, the Odyssey was out and saw Pong and he thought it was a horrible game. And he, they were just going to use this as kind of a test product project or maybe... Uh, Bushnell actually considered it to be a real game, but he told um, Al that it wasn't. So he, he developed it, and all of a sudden it started making money, and then there was this lawsuit based <laughs> on the fact that they ripped off Magnavox. <laughs> so they ended up paying a lot of money. But what he said, uh, which was kind of interesting, is, is uh, you shouldn't worry about Everybody steals ideas, and if it's not making any money, they're not going to sue you anyway. So. Which is pretty funny So uh, Eugene Jarvis We talked about earlier He uh, started Atari uh, At a new pinball group They were starting This new pinball group And uh, after a week Of being at Atari His uh, boss quit And he became Head of the uh, pinball department (laughs) So uh, Yeah And probably the best stories Were uh, when they ripped On uh, Nolan Bushnell And uh, Gene Lipkin This guy that was The VP of CoinOp they said that uh, Nolan used to come down and visit with Gene Lipkin, and if Gene didn't like what uh, you were working on, they would just cut it. <laughs> so they, the developers got smart, and they installed what they called the Lipkin switch in their games. And essentially what would happen is when they saw Gene coming down, they'd flip this switch, which would make it look like the game had crashed, and it would be have a bunch of wavy lines, and they're like, <laughs> I can't show you my game right now. It's currently broken. You know, I'm debugging it. <laughs> so nice. all the games had the Lipkin switch, so none of their projects would get canceled from that point forward. <laughs> That's a great idea. <laughs> exactly. How, how can we use that today? Yes. <laughs> so, and they said Nolan always had these crazy ideas. Like he thought the pinball machine should have a wider play field than anything out there, uh, but it cost way more to produce that. 
And Atari never made a dime, basically, on their pinball machines because of this. And I saw a bunch of their pinball machines at the show, and they're totally wide. Like, they're way wider than any other pinball machine. He was just stuck on this notion that they had to have wide pinball machines. Wasn't the Space Invaders pinball really wide? No, I don't think Space Invaders was that. It might have been a little bit wider, but you should. the Atari ones are real, real huh. wide. Yeah. Yeah, and all the guys said that any time that Nolan... And I know we watched the video, at least uh, Dave and I did. I, you guys did too, Once Upon yeah. Atari, right? Yeah. And yeah. It, it, remember the outtakes? Nolan uh, would always say, I, I believe... Remember how I said it? Well, it's funny because during the conference, they were like, anytime Nolan would say, I believe you should uh, duck and run for the exit because something's going <laughs> So he, because of that, he would always go down and try to get developers. And this is what's kind of funny. It seems just like stuff that we're used to, right? He would go down and try to get developers to go off on these whims and tangents based on what he believed, right? And here's this idea I have. Why don't you go look at this? And since Al Alcorn was uh, leading the department, he would actually have the receptionist page him when uh, when he'd come down. And he'd tell the engineers, uh, you can listen to him or whatever, but I'm the person that pays you, so uh, I'm not going to pay you if you go off on these tangents and we need to stick to the <laughs> schedule. So uh, I get, apparently once Nolan figured out that Al was like telling people this, he would snipe the lowest people on the food chain. And guess who was one of the lowest people in the food chain? Who? With that? No idea. We talked about it before. Steve Jobs. Oh, yeah. yeah and that's, that's right. how break, Breakout came. It was a total like tangent that Nolan had gone down, grabbed Steve Jobs. He said, if you do this and use this minimum number of chips, I'll give you X amount of dollars. And that's that's how it got developed. It was a complete, wasn't even scheduled. They, Al said he went down one day and this game was there and it wasn't even on the schedule list of games to create. <laughs> So besides listening to all these conferences, obviously there was uh, tons of games that I played at California Extreme. All the photos are online. I have a lot of pictures of the uh, Atari Wide Body Pinball Machines, Superman, Atarians, Middle Earth, etc. There's a, a ton of them. You can see them online. They're pretty cool because I'd never seen them before. But I think because there weren't many rare. of them produced. Rare, yeah. yeah. And the other cool thing was uh, there was an Atari Prototype Row. So they had a bunch of games that were the prototypes at the original Atari that they developed, and then they went on to make maybe the real game, or they maybe never made the game. So there was a whole row of them. There was like Accelerator, Aka, R, I don't even know how you pronounce that, Lunar Battle, which was the early version of Gravatar, Metal hmm. Maniacs, Infernal, Marble Man, which is Marble Madness 2, uh, Fishing Frenzy, Sparks, Fire oh, Beast. Oh, yeah, Fishing Frenzy. And That's an early version of Tempest. Hmm. On the Laserdisc front, they had uh, the Roadrunner Laserdisc game. You remember the Atari Roadrunner game in the arcades? You'd go around and you'd get the bird seed and you'd like go through yeah. the kitchen. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Right. yeah, exactly. Well, that had graphics. Like, you know, uh, it wasn't Laserdisc at all. But the early pro uh, version that they made had Laserdisc as a background. So hmm. it had the graphics overlaid on that. And it, was it the graphics from the Roadrunner cartoon? Yeah. Yes. Wow. And in between levels, it would show, you know, cartoon animation and stuff. So, cool. um, But they decided that it was too much of a pain to keep the Laserdisc going, so they dropped that idea. But they hmm. had this version there uh, running, so I got to play it. It was really, really cool. Uh, Freedom Fighter, another Laserdisc game that's really rare. Um, that was cool to play. Uh, they had a guy created new levels for Donkey Kong. So I was playing that. It was really, really hard. So has that been released, or is that just like a hobby project? Or? He's yeah, a ROM that he's custom ROMs he's building. It's not released yet. Um, wow. So I, I'm going to get them so I can shove them in my Donkey Kong when they come out. But hmm. uh, and also there was a lot of uh, early Atari design documents, artwork, etc. And that's all on the the web as well on the photo gallery. So you can go check that out. Besides playing all these games, I saw a lot of people there that I recognized. It was kind of interesting. Uh, I saw Seamus Blackley. He's the co-creator of the Xbox. He was he was playing games there. Um, <laughs> I would talk to him. He was a really nice guy. 
it was interesting to see those kind of people at the at this kind of classic right. gaming show. I also saw a lot of the people from EGM and the One Up Yours podcast, huh. like uh, Shane Bettenhausen. He's the guy who's kind of a jerk on that podcast and is very pro Sony. And he was just as arrogant in real life. I thought, <laughs> no, I thought it was maybe just kind of an act. Like maybe this is how he just acts, you know, to be cocky on the One Up Yours podcast. But but no, he's he's that way in real life. <laughs> and they were sitting around playing Warlords. The oh, yeah. cocktail version of Warlords. Mm-hmm. Um, Luke Smith was there. He's another guy from One Up. And there's a bunch of other guys. Uh, I'm sure they were from the show as well. Uh, he seemed really nice. Um, I talked to him. He was a nice guy. But uh, yeah, Shane, not a nice guy uh, on the podcast or off. So. <laughs> did did hey, you, you mention that you do a podcast? Did no, I didn't that? mention I did a podcast. No, I was just I was talking to him when we were playing Warlords. Uh-huh. So. <laughs> you got to yeah. give him credit for keeping it real. You know. Keeping it. So, I mean, that's the thing. He was walking around like, oh, I'm so much better than these classic arcade games and blah, 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 blah. blah. I'm like, yeah, whatever, dude. Go back to your magazine that sucks. No. So, anyway, that's pretty much it for the California Extreme. All right. Well, thanks and, for the, the rundown. And I think a lot of people, I saw people videotaping and uh, audio taping the uh, presentation. So, I believe you can probably go online and find them. This I just gave a short overview, so if you can get a hold of them, I would definitely listen to them because they are really, really interesting. Is this uh, every year? Every year, yeah. Cool. Every year. All right, so I guess it's on to what we'd be playing. All right. Why don't you go ahead and Tom start that off? Uh, I think we should take a break. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> time for what we're currently playing. What are you playing, Tom? What are you doing? Well, I've been playing the Nintendo DS a lot because uh, I've discovered that I really like it. I, I got a couple games and I got some games from Gamefly. And so... Um, plug, plug. Yeah, I've been I've been playing uh, New Super Mario, which is really fun. I play that at work because... Why do you think it's fun? You play that at work? I play it at work while I'm waiting for something to compile. Oh, okay. Oh, Cause, yeah. Because you can play it in like 30 seconds at a time. Apparently and the person who wrote your build system needs help. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know who that is. <laughs> um, I like it because it's it's got that classic Mario side-scrolling platforming gameplay. It's got really bright, nice graphics. Um, the the dual screen where you can see the map on the bottom is kind of cool. You can see your progress. Sometimes it uses the bottom screen, too. Right, like, yeah. Uh, some levels, like the bonus stuff sometimes. I've uh, been playing Advance Wars DS. Now, Advance Wars DS is a great example of a game where... Using the stylus on the touchscreen really is a big advantage. It's not like you couldn't do it without the stylus, but being able to tap on the unit that you want to move and tap where you want to move it with the stylus is just so much more convenient than trying to move a cursor around or something. I always find tapping on the unit is easier with a <laughs> stylus. So, <laughs> um, Also played uh, Metroid Prime Pinball, which is pretty cool, yeah. um, and Mario Kart. Mario Kart has that. It has all the retro tracks, like from the Nintendo sixty four version right, of Mario yeah. Kart and stuff, which is pretty fun to see. Have you played multiplayer yet? Uh, no, I haven't played multiplayer yet. I play. Try to play with uh, Will, you know, from uh, yeah. you know, Rework, and uh, we can't get it to work. I can connect to everybody in the world, but Will apparently. <laughs> so um, I don't know what's up with that, but uh, it shows him. Like my friend, little thing blinks when your friend's mm-hmm. online, but we can't connect ever. So that's weird. Yeah, and I've also played Animal Crossing on the DS, which is kind of fun. Kind of fun? Yeah, I mean, it's not really a game. It's more of just a, a little amusement. It's not like the ultimate a... hack and slash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
There needs to be like a Grand Theft Animal Crossing <laughs> where <laughs> you sort of it's like Animal Crossing. I thought it can, was Grand Theft. Like you can, can steal stuff from you know, people. You can shoot people. Um, I don't know. I, I, I guess you can steal stuff. Like I guess if you visit somebody else's town, you can take items. You can raid their stuff. Yeah, I haven't done that, but I've been finding that the DS is really fun. Um, the sound on it is really good. You know, we've been lately we've been kind of trashing the PSP and saying the DS is more fun. Um, you know, the the PSP the sound is not that great from the external speaker, and the sound on the headphones is kind of too quiet. Right. Yeah. I mean, and the DS has it has really good sound on the external speakers. In fact, the external speakers have a really good stereo effect. Yeah. Oh so yeah. You turn up that that thing and and you're playing Mario Brothers or something like that, and you really get the stereo effect very very well, and this sound is very crisp and if you're playing on headphones it's plenty loud you don't have to turn it all the way up and not be able to hear it It, it's really well done and oh one other thing i have to say is it's great that the ds has a headphone jack built in and you don't have to buy the stupid adapter thing like for the uh the game boy advance oh yeah yeah so you playing any uh, 360 stuff? Or? Yeah, I've been playing a little bit of uh, MotoGP on the 360. I've got I've unlocked the Formula Extreme tracks. Um, I've gotten through the GP season and the 600cc Extreme season. What I like about MotoGP is that it keeps your high scores with your friends list for every single track separately. So you can yeah. see like who got the best lap time on that track and who got the best lap time on some other track. So instead of there being just one score, it's like, oh, you know, someone had this many points, you get to see like, you know, well maybe I'm faster on this track and he's faster on that track. It's kind of cool. cool. So you play any of the demos that came out recently? I know Lord of the Rings, the Battle for Middle Earth two or no, whatever. No, I haven't came played any demos. And, uh, Prey as well. No but demos. We'll talk about that later. So. Okay. So basically, that's what I've been playing. Mostly DS and a little bit of MotoGP. I do have to say, on the last episode, I think it was the last episode of our podcast that I challenged uh, Teal to try to get the Black Pearl on Hexic HD. <laughs> yeah. And then the next day, the day after our podcast came out, I looked on the friends list and he was playing Hexic. And sure enough, he immediately got the Black Pearl. So congratulations. Yeah. Thanks for taking up our challenge. And uh, that was cool to see. What does he win? I don't know. What does he win? <laughs> I don't know. Sort of again. It, yeah. it, when we when this podcast gets popular enough that we get paid, we'll have to have prizes or something. But we're never going to get paid for this uh, <laughs> podcast, Tom. I hate to tell you, but uh, that's yeah, not, you're that's right. not happening. You guys are making money. I'm making bucks. Really? <laughs> you got all the endorsements, right? Yeah. Gamefly.com. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, Dave, what are you playing? I'm right, next. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I I just downloaded this demo for my PC. What's it called? It's, uh, <laughs> Empires at War. Empire oh, it's at Star War. Wars Empires Stars at War. War. Yeah, yeah I'm in preparation for this very podcast. And how's that going for you? It's not that good. Well, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm impressed and disappointed, but I think we'll, we'll talk about that a little later no, on. No, no, go ahead and talk about it now. You want to talk about it now? Yeah. Uh, let's see. It's it's uh, it's very pretty at first because it starts off with this nice screen where you see all the Empire cruisers and spaceships Flying back and forth. What oh, kind cool. of game is it? First of all, isn't it it's like a, a, is it like a real time strategy? It's kind of real, it's kind of a real time strategy, kind of like Starcraft. Kind of, uh, but there's also kind of the Master of Orion. Yeah, uh, I heard that kind comparison. of like where yeah. you uh, you have a bunch of planets and you have to send your fleets back and forth to the planets. And manage um, instead of having like buildings that create uh, inventory, like create currency or resources for you, you have to capture planets. Yeah, to do it. Do you um, get to play as Jar Jar Binks? 
You know, this is it's in the uh, first trilogy. Uh, okay. And, uh, or the second uh, by trilogy. first, do you mean the original ones or yeah, the, 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 the whatever it was four through six? Four, four through six, six. Four the only six. trilogy, the, really. The, the good movie, the good trilogy. Yeah. yeah, it's set in the good trilogy time. Yeah. Okay. And my major beef with it is that, uh, that like, for instance, the, the Rebel Alliance doesn't take over planets. They they covertly send spies or or smugglers or send okay. or send uh, droids to go steal technology from the Empire. They don't have their own ways of making technology so that they steal it from the Empire. Yeah, that makes but, sense. Yeah, which, like, I mean, <laughs> okay, I can I can buy that. That's kind of cool. But the, the, the units you send across are, are C-3PO and R2-D2 this, to go steal technology. <laughs> <laughs> and in order to get uh, money, you have to send the smuggler over to one of the Empire's planets. And, okay, well, that's kind of cool. But you look at the smuggler and it's a little tiny Han Solo. <laughs> with his little vest and everything so apparently all smugglers are very easy to identify in the Star Wars universe because they, they look just like Han yeah Solo. that's the Han Solo that's the uniform that's, that's the smuggler's smuggler. uniform yeah. exactly yeah, it makes sense and all technology Ex- thieves look like C-3PO apparently the, you, there's only two of them in the universe and <laughs> <laughs> alright so uh, I, I, but I don't I don't get it I don't understand like you would have wanted it to be a bigger variety of units, or you know what? What, I, what I'd like to see. I guess my beef with it is that uh, they, they're taking the franchise and this the, the whole world, the whole yeah. the whole galaxy that is Star Wars, and it, apparently the the only thing they can draw upon is the movies to, right. for for the characters. Oh, so you you wanted to see more original want, material? Yeah, some more oh, development, okay. like some new things. That, yeah. Like there's a whole you know books written on things right. that happen okay. on other planets and backstory and. Cool to have some of that in there. Well, it even sounds like they took these things, the C three PO and R two, and they forced them into part be part of the game where it doesn't really make sense. I mean, and and there's one point where you uh, attack a Jawa uh, sandcrawler, but it's not on Tatooine. It's like you can see on the map where there's Tatooine, and then there's another planet. I can't remember what it was. How could they allow that? Maybe. Wait a minute. Maybe the the Jawas are everywhere. Maybe they're on vacation. Maybe (laughs) maybe the sandcrawlers are kind of like RVs, and they drive them around other planets. Too and you know, I'd like to see the thing that tows that to one plant from one. <laughs> so, so I've been play- I played that. It was you know, it might be cooler if you saw it. I mean, I'll give it some benefit of the doubt because I only you know gone with the tutorial missions, but I'm I'm so far I'm 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 not that impressed. Hmm. What else are you playing? I'm also playing uh, Heroes of Might and Magic Five. Oh. I believe it is, which I'm very On happy PC? with. Yeah, which is uh, I mean, I was a PC gamer ages ago and that was one of the games I played a lot of um, and now this is a 3D beautiful really rendered yeah. really cool looking stuff uh, at first I thought it was pretty boring because it was just like the old game and I thought well they just added 3D graphics but is it still the it. same sort of gameplay where you have the heroes that yeah, go around and then they you, walk around you, these kingdoms you, you capture and, different yeah. locations and then and when stuff. you get to the battles now it's um, you still are like it's turn based where you move the characters around mm-hmm. and, and position them and so it's, it's, a, it's a miracle of micromanagement <laughs> so if you like to micromanage, you're it, it's, it's and you still find and you find artifacts and stuff. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah and okay. you also and, and it's also resource building, but you have to buy, uh, capture caps castles in order to. to is do it multiplayer? Or is yeah, it? it is, and that's why I got it because uh, a friend of mine said, "Oh, I've been getting into this," and I, I, whenever I hear someone who wants to play multiplayer over the net, I'm jumping on it. And then the last game I've been playing, which is really classic, and I got to bring it up, is Spaceward Ho. Oh, oh yes, I do remember that game. <laughs> oh. Yes, Spaceward Ho. We used to play that, Dave. Did we? We, we used to play that like, like ten years ago or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you might be right. Yeah, and uh, 
what, what I love this is this is like it was a multiplayer game, one of the original multiplayer games. It didn't use IPX or a TCP/IP because it was before all that. It used file sharing to do its to do its communication. <laughs> yeah, and um, you can so it makes it hard to play it over the network internet, right? <laughs> yeah. But there's this great tool called Hamachi. Uh, which allows you to uh, basically look like you can see each uh, two people behind firewalls can can bridge the firewalls and see each other's uh, computers as if they're connected to the same network, and yep. then you and then you can share your Windows file and then you can you can so you can play Space Patrol over the internet, over internet with this with Hamachi. Sweet, wow! Yeah, and that cool. and I've been spending so you know many what, hours. you know what I loved about Space Patrol <laughs> is that when you capture a planetary system, it puts a little cowboy hat on it. Yeah, <laughs> he goes. Yeah, uh-huh. whoa. Yeah, yeah it's, it's an old, old game, but it was, it was very, it was. Uh, that was very a, that was a well-designed game. It yeah, was cool. Very simple. And Master Ryan was basically a, a, a better version or more mm-hmm. up-to-date version of Spaceward Ho. Uh, my gaming gaming experience the last two weeks has mostly been limited to uh, peeking over Tom's shoulder when he plays for thirty seconds between builds. You know what's so. really funny is it work? Okay. <laughs> You know, I have these periods of time where maybe there's five, ten minutes when I'm waiting for the code to compile, and there's really nothing I can do. So I flip open the Nintendo DS, and I'm playing, and it's always right then that somebody walks by my desk, and so they're like, hey, what's that? And, and people in the corner, they want to talk about it. It's kind of fun. So you're getting a lot of work done lately, Tom? Yeah, well, I'm getting the exact same amount of work done, just that instead of being bored doing nothing while something compiles, I can play the DS. So. Oh, that makes sense. All right, so I guess it's time for me. Uh, so I went to California. So I took the uh, Nintendo DS and the PSP with me. And, uh, and did I, you have them fight to the death against each other? No, Amy's little brother was playing on the PSP most of the time, and I played on the <laughs> Nintendo DS. So uh, huh. it's, it's pretty much because I didn't tell him I had the Nintendo DS until toward the end of the trip. I just kept <laughs> hiding in the other room and playing it. And uh, So you haven't changed your opinion on which is better? Well, to be honest, the PSP, I think, is making a bit of a comeback. I played the local Roco demo, and he played it as well, and that game is very cool. What you is gotta, it? How does it work? All right, so it's kind of weird. It's uh, it's very much like a Nintendo DS game, but on the PSP, you use the shoulder buttons to essentially it's two dimensional. You to rotate the screen, and you hmm. control these uh, loco rocos. I guess it's like a blob, and you can make it bounce, and you make it move by tilting the screen. <laughs> so what's cool is uh, you know, you eat these things, and your loco roco gets bigger. But there's a lot of parts where uh, they're like tight passageways, and what you have to do is you hit one of the buttons, and your local roco busts apart into many small local rocos. So what's a local roco? It's like an amoeba it's a, a blob, or something. Yeah, or? basically like an amoeba. And uh-huh. so to get through these things, you got to click it, but and then it all busts apart into little local rocos, and they go through it. And the 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 sound is awesome. They have this very like comical, and they've got these little voices yelling and stuff, and they sing songs, and sometimes <laughs> they stack on each other to get up hill. It's really it's really pretty cool. That's it's cool. well done. Has good graphics. So to me, what I find funny about the PSP is all the games that aren't these huge, you know, three dimensional games trying to port from consoles are the ones that are popular. And, yeah. but but it's those those big games that it was sold as right being able to support. And I just don't understand. I mean, if you look like uh, Luminous or Lumens or whatever you call it or something like this, they're like simpler games. But those are the ones that people are those playing. Those are the ones that are fun. Yeah. yeah. So um, so hopefully there'll be more. I also heard um, that uh, some of the other new games that are coming out, like the Super Monkey Ball, whatever the World Adventure one, it's supposed to be pretty good on PSP as well. I did play a sucky game though. Uh, <laughs> Taryn, Amy's little brother, uh, got parts of the Caribbean Dead Man's Chest for the PSP, uh-huh. and it, uh, it it sucks. So, it has all the classic issues with the PSP game. Uh, three, you know, you have one analog stick, 
so you and the camera is all over the place. Is it first person? It it's yeah, it's like third ish person, right? You know, you have that yeah. perspective, but so it's a, it's the issue of like you have to move and change your point of view, right? And but you, you only have lost. one analog. You get stick. lost, like you're sitting there trying mm. to fight with a sword, and all of a sudden you're like fighting nobody, and somebody's smacking you in the back because it's like rotated <laughs> on you. And it's just huh. it's a crap game. So you look at something like that compared to Local Roku, and there's no comparison. Local Roku is a much better handheld game. So, on the Nintendo DS, I too have played a little bit of Super Mario Brothers, the new Super Mario Brothers, but I gotta say, Tom, I'm not as impressed as you are with it. <laughs> and I think the reason is, I spent so much time playing, like, the Super Nintendo versions of Super Mario World and stuff. Yeah. To me, it is somewhat repetitious. Yeah, it It's is. not really much of an advance. I guess well, it's, it's been so a, much it, like it's, the original. It's been yeah. a while since I've played those games, though, yeah. so I guess it's kind of nice for me to, to play them again. Right. The one I have been playing is I picked up Super Mario 64 for it. Yeah, and I like that. I like it better than I like the new Super Mario Brothers. I don't know why. Probably because I didn't play the N sixty four that much as much as I did my Super NES. But right. uh, but I, now, they actually changed it quite a bit from the uh, Nintendo sixty four version. Yeah, that's interesting to me because I played it on the Nintendo sixty four. I beat the game, and so when I saw that it was available on the DS, I kind of thought, well, it's going to be the exact same thing. I why would I play that? But what's yeah. different about it? Di- well, like for example, you start off and you're playing as Yoshi. Oh wow! So they changed that, and it's just it's it's different. You know, the level designs are the same, uh-huh. and a lot of the bosses are the same. But during the game, it's it's a bit different, so it makes it it's more of a variety, and it's cool to play it on the handheld. I just enjoy playing it on the handheld. I'm not sure exactly why, but I like so it. So, how does it use the two screens? Oh, jeez! Yeah, mm-hmm. it's an overhead view on the other screen. So the and bottom you can, you can kind of see a map. View? It's a map. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I, I never look at the bottom screen, so I'm trying to think <laughs> what it is. It's a map, so you can kind of see where you are in the world uh, relative to... Uh, hmm. But it's kind of cool, too. Sometimes it's flying around, and it's like in a, th- a 3D d- view on top, and you can kind of see the two-dimensional view on the bottom. It's kind of kind of weird, oh, cool. over-top view. But um, but it's hmm. a good game. I recommend you should pick it up, Tom. Give it a shot. And on 360, I've been playing uh, mostly demos. I played the Prey demo, uh, which you guys know about Prey at all. Yeah, yeah. You, uh, well, just a little summary for those. I'm sure everybody who has a 360 knows, but it's this whole uh, Indian kind of thing mixed with a shooter with their being attacked by aliens. And it's uh, it's pretty interesting. Um, it's a pretty cool game. They have, it seems like they try to add in a lot of stuff that maybe didn't make sense. Like you can do these, uh, what do they call it? These kind of walks, like spirit walks. So you uh, can like go to unlocked doors that you couldn't normally get to. Is it sort of like a going to the astral plane kind of thing? Well, not really. It's more like um, you can... Um, like there's you can't get to something, but then if you go into spirit mode, you can get to it and unlock it to let you in a room. That uh, so it's like there's a lot of puzzles. It's kind of like in what was that game, Legacy of Cain, where you switch yeah. to the 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 it's other kinda, dimensional world. It's almost kind of like time shift in a way huh. as well, where you can stop time and move. But um, but anyway, I haven't. It's just the demo I've played, and uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, the one thing about it is it feels a lot like Quake 4 to me. It uses a Doom 3 engine, and all the Doom 3, Quake 4, and this all look similar to me. I mean, I don't see hmm. a, a, the the level design. Everything seems kind of the same. So, huh. And the other thing that was kind of irritating, not irritating, but alarming, I guess, is that um, I heard an interview with one of the developers, and he says that the demo is actually a quarter of the game. It took me about an hour and a half to get through the demo. Oh, so the the whole game's four hours long? Or? I think it'd be six, right? Yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> and remember, he's an engineer, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Not a mathematician. Not an accountant. Yeah. So, uh, but anyway, so I, I hear it's getting okay reviews. I don't know. I wasn't that impressed. Then I played the NCAA football 2000 semo, 2007 demo, and mm-hmm. I was really unimpressed with that. 
Hmm. I have last year's Madden version for the 360, and the graphics were really good. Uh, it was missing a lot of gameplay modes, and I think people dinged it for that. But overall, it had really good graphics. With the NCAA Football 2007, it looks like I'm playing on the original Xbox. It's just, it doesn't have anti-aliasing. It looks very jagged. I mean, the graphics are just not very good. And hmm. this is on an HD TV, so um, I'm not that impressed with it. Uh, hopefully, the release version isn't like that, but... I don't know. I don't see them changing the graphics that much from the hmm. demo to the release. And the last game I played, I uh, played a little bit of Geometry Wars. You know, uh, Teal was ahead of me at like 2.1 million or something like that. Some high score that I couldn't pass. Right, right. I practiced a little bit and I got two points, almost 2.7 million. 2.694135. Wow, right. I broke right. into the top 2,000 <laughs> and uh, Teal is still sitting at 2.1 million last time I checked. So, uh, Teal, got to catch up, buddy. What do you think? <laughs> Yeah, and for some reason I've been uh, I haven't played it since I got that score, but like up to that, like the last five games, I was always in the two point two, two point three hmm. million. So I think I may have you That's know passed this like corner, and now I'm gonna you know I'm well, hoping to get like three what are million. those uh, scores that are astronomical, like nine million or nine? No, 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 hundred million. Hundred million. High, high score is like a hundred million. The second's like eighty some wow. million, and I and then the next is like ten million. So I don't know what the big gap is there, but. Sounds like they hacked their system. <laughs> no, no, no. These are the they're on the actually the Xbox Xbox forums. They talk about it quite a bit, techniques and stuff, and they actually have tapes that you. Sounds I mean, like a mod chip to me. It could be <laughs> training videos. Training. One, one thing I did notice when I got to two point six nine four million that was kind of crazy though is there were so many enemies on screen. I actually saw slowdown. Wow. So I'm wondering if you get it into a mode where it gets like that, it starts slowing down, that you can and actually just <laughs> getting up all these points because you're taking everybody out. You yeah. Know? So what I'm wondering is it, when the developers were making that game, how far did they get? Did they, I, I mean, did they test it? There was did, an did he... interview with one of the developers, and I think it was in the British um, 360 magazine. And if I remember this right, I think they said that when the developers released the game, they didn't think anybody would get over 10 million. Yeah. When I remember them talking about how they didn't really analyze the deep gameplay, they 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 wrote it, it felt good, they played a bunch of it, and then they just shipped it out. So they don't actually know how it gets right. or how the gameplay changes at the really high levels. They just know like they, they put more and more enemies <laughs> on the screen, but so, I don't know huh. that they did thorough testing at that level. So it's quite level. possible that these things are just it's slowing down at that point. Yeah, yeah. And you just a matter of just yeah. plow yeah. through. It's like, so I think those people are probably discovering things the developers had never seen. And the, the <laughs> same article I read about Geometry Wars also said that there were certain features of the game that were in there that they took out. And one of them was that the, the background used to be constantly changing colors and stuff. And they said that it was, it was way too, it made it too hard to see what was going on. And I thought, wow, I didn't know it was possible for it to be harder to tell what was going on <laughs> than it already was. Yeah. But, but I yeah. guess they had to tone it down a little bit. Cool. Um, oh, I have one other comment about the MotoGP on the 360, which is that I've noticed as I've gotten to some of the later tracks... That there's something that they do that's really cool graphically, which is that they have um, these lighting effects where you see shadows cast on the track, and sometimes you see the shadows of clouds overhead being that's cast cool. on the track, 
And sometimes there are places where there's buildings that are casting a big shadow. And some of the tracks take place like at twilight. or yeah. And what it does is it makes it so that there's this effect where when you make a transition from a really bright part of the track yeah. to where there's a big shadow, it makes it kind of hard to see the road. Yeah. It makes it kind of hard to see what's going on. And it's exactly like it is in real life. Yeah. And there's just something very cool about that lighting effect because yeah. it just makes the game seem that much more real. And it's cool to me because it's not it doesn't really have to do with the number of polygons or something. Yeah. It's just the way that they artistically made the light and shadow work. And it Did really you, is cool. And there's a good example of developers actually using the advanced graphics of these new systems to not just make it, you know, more shiny or looking new. They actually have it affect the gameplay. I game like play. shiny. <laughs> well, everyone likes shiny, but it's you know it so rarely affects gameplay. But in this case, yeah. they're actually using these neat graphics to affect the gameplay. I Did you know uh, PGR does the same thing? PGR does do the same thing, but I didn't find the effect as dramatic in yeah. PGR. That's I, cool. I, I thought it was a lot more dramatic in MotoGP. I gotta check that out then, because I like the way PGR does it. All right, well, it's on to the uh, what, Woody? What are we talking about? The wars? No, it's on to the news. The news. <laughs> <laughs> News you can use. Exactly. All right, on to the news. This is the news. News you can use. All right, Woody, way to go. All right. It's not about the wars. It's about the news. All right, so uh, one of the news uh, pieces that we have today is John Romero has uh, named his studio. We talked about this last time on the uh, Doom Quake id podcast that uh, John Romero was working on some massively multiplayer uh, role-playing game. That was the rumor. That was a rumor. So what's the name of his, uh, of his new studio? Slipgate Ironworks. And what's uh, Slipgate mean? We talked about it last time. It's the thing that in Quake sends you to the other worlds. And why did they introduce that into Quake? Because the worlds were so inconsistent that they had to some, have some excuse. <laughs> exactly, to connect the worlds. That's how they came up with Slipgates. So apparently he wants his uh, studio to be named after a kludge. But whatever, I mean, <laughs> you think about it. But uh, One man's kludge is another man's brilliant design to, to, uh, to cover something. <laughs> that's right. That, of, of, that's of, the term kludge. Of all the company names I've heard of. That's not that's not the worst one I've heard of. Yes, no, I don't think it's I don't think it's a bad name. High, just, high praise indeed. High yeah. praise indeed. <laughs> so uh, yeah, he's working on a massively multiplayer online role playing game. Nobody knows what it is, but from the name Slipgate, we talked about last time he had some ability to use the Quake uh, universe. He talked about that. So do you think this? Well, is remember a- in our yeah in our episode about Doom Quake etc. We talked about how. They wanted to build this fantasy world out of Quake, and, yeah. and it was going to be based on some of the characters in their D&D campaign, and then they never did it. Right. So, and that he got permission from Carmack to do a massively multiplayer game based on that, but that was a while ago, so I don't know. But hmm. to me, naming it Slipgate is kind of an indication that it might be set in the Quake universe, but yeah. who knows. All right, so uh, Tom, what else is going on? Well, this summer, every Wednesday, supposedly we're going to be getting a new Xbox Live Arcade game. And it's going to start with Frogger, and then we're going to get Cloning Clyde, Galaga, Street Fighter 2, Hyper Fighting. I've always pronounced it Galaga, I'm sorry, I I can't break that habit. And uh, Pac-Man. So, you know, one one new arcade title (laughs) per week, that sounds good. (laughs) 
I, I don't know, complain. dude. I mean, some of these games are... Uh, the only one that I'm really on the list uh, looking forward to, I guess, is Street Fighter 2. And hope, hoping the online is, is pretty decent. But yeah. the, the other games, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm just... I don't know. I don't know what cloning Clyde is. I love Galaga. But I despise Frogger. <laughs> just had to throw that out there. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'd rather just play the arcade game. I uh, true. I mean, Galaga might be restricted to awesome in the arcade, but yeah. I'm just yeah. Other than that, nothing nothing too exciting. Yeah, I I really think that uh, you know it's going to be about the original titles on Xbox Live because Nintendo having all of its licenses, uh, its own uh, in house licenses when they bring out the Revolution is I'm sorry. The Wii. The Wii. Yeah. It's going to take over this kind of market, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. All right. So on to uh, some PSP news. I think actually Sony with all their stuff. Um, No. No, I don't think so. (laughs) Well, they will have Ridge Racer. Ridge Ridge Racer. Racer. (laughs) All right. All right. So uh, DevHook version 0.44 was released. Now, what's DevHook? Uh, it's, we talked about it earlier. It allows on 1.5 PSPs to do firmware emulation, and it happens that version 0.44 supports 2.71 firmware. Does anybody know what's special about 2.71 firmware? Would that be Grand Theft Auto? No, Grand Theft Auto was way back, dude. Way back. All right. <laughs> I'm behind the time. 2.71 is the latest firmware. So that means that now on a 1.5 PSP, you can you play can, any game. Any game, because it's got the latest any firmware. Game. All right. And it's got all the features, too. Like, they added, I think, the ability to... Uh, have like uh, not shockwave, but what's the other one? What's flash, that? flash format in your PSP when you're browsing the web or whatever. So oh right, so that's kind of cool. Um, I've been using it; it's pretty sweet. You can load any UMD now, so you can go to the store, rent UMDs, get them from GameFly, whatever. Tom, and you can play them on your PSP, even though you're still on one <laughs> five. Sounds good. I'll have to add my, the PSP games back into my GameFly. Game. <laughs> exactly. Um, okay, and then there's also a downgrader, right? Right. Downgraders were limited to uh, 2.0 before, but uh, apparently they uh, have figured out a way to uh, downgrade 2.5 and 2.6 PSPs. So, Brad, if you're yeah. listening, <laughs> we, exactly. we know somebody who has this problem, so yeah. he can now finally downgrade. I'm sure he's upgraded to 2.71 at this time, <laughs> and he still won't be supported. So, you just uh. got to wait for a bit. But yeah, it's, it seems fairly complex from what I've read. Uh, you need to have like the 1.5 firmware, so you have to use somebody's 1.5 PSP. So, Brad will probably be coming to you, Tom, to, <laughs> to get help with this. But uh, it seems a bit risky from what I've heard. Uh, at least the early versions were. There were people that bricked their PSPs. But I think the later version, this new one, uh, is supposed to be uh, less well, there, risky. I remember there was a piece of malware out there that said it was a downgrader that purposely destroyed your PSP. Right. That's and, nice. Uh, yeah. So, be careful which one you're, you're getting. Another story is that Sony is starting to have movies on memory stick instead of the UMDs. Isn't why this is weird? That? Why, well, why is that? Because UMDs suck. Well, besides I, that, I read. Rec- I just heard recently that the Sony's having problems convincing stores to stock their UMD movies. Right, um, and also the studios are stopping producing movies on right UMD because right. it's it's a losing proposition for them. They're not selling enough. So, so once again, a Sony proprietary format dies on the vine. Blu-ray. I'm sorry. What? What? <laughs> um, just kidding. I, but so, if you no, can put a movie on memory stick, which you can already do in some situations. No, no, no. You you want the the memory stick entertainment pack from Sony, right? It comes with the one gigabyte and two gigabyte versions for sixty and a hundred dollars uh, each, you know, respectively. And but the the movies are going to be copy protected, right? 
Yeah, that's what's weird about it. Uh, Sony, uh, I guess, they're going to make these movies available for direct download of memory stick duos, uh, you know, whatever. I, I don't think you have to buy their memory sticks. It can be, you know, any one. But here's the, here's the kicker. It says, The purchasers of the packs will only be able to copy one of the four films onto their memory sticks. The others will be locked. So apparently it's like a package of four movies. It's kind of weird. And it says uh, they'll give out a code uh, with the MSEP to unlock one of the four movies. I don't really understand all this, but it says that uh, through a special digital rights management solution designed by Sony, uh, the movie is then downloadable for the PSP. So it's this whole like uh, you know new protection scheme for movies downloading to the PSP. I don't even get how it works. But. Sounds like a much better version of iTunes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's true. It sounds just like iTunes, uh, but uh, sounds like a real pain in the ass. Well, but wait well, a minute. Actually, it sounds like but, the first digital music player, which but, wouldn't play MP3s, but it had software which would take an hour to convert your MP3s to their proprietary format. These are and movies, though. Huge. Well, I know, but it's just once again Sony releasing this really cumbersome thing that no one will ever okay. want to buy. Now you, you said it sounded like iTunes. To me, it doesn't sound like iTunes because if I buy a movie from iTunes. If I buy a whole bunch of movies from iTunes, I can put as many of them as on my video iPod as I want. I'm not limited to one at a time. And this sounds like w- when you copy one of the f- movies, you can't use the other ones. I don't know if that's true. I think you download a pack of movies and then you get unlocked codes for each one or something weird like that. Yeah. I don't really understand it. Um, All I know is it sounds like classic Sony awkward idiocy. <laughs> I'm not biased and I support Sony in every way. And, uh, yeah, whatever. I've always been a supporter. I like the PlayStation better than any of the other of the last generation of consoles. But at the same time, they clearly make a lot of bad decisions for the consumer. All right, well, let's move on. There's an article that's uh, online called the best or the top 20 games that nobody played, but you should. Right. Chris, why don't you tell us about what those games are? Because I know I've played a lot of them. Yeah, this is actually an old article, but I just thought I found it interesting and figured we'd uh, we take a read through and see what. Uh, and what site is this from? I think it's from uh, RacketBoy.com, which I I've never heard of that site, but uh, word up, yeah, RacketBoy. All right, so here's some of the games, the top twenty games that nobody played, but you should. Uh, I don't know if they're in any, any particular order. I guess they're unordered. First game, Jet Grand Radio, Jet Set Radio for the Dreamcast. What do you think? You guys agree? Disagree? Great game, great music, uh, cell shaded graphics. Graffiti, what more do you want? It's Thumbs great. up. Should have played it. Panzer <laughs> Dragoon Saga Saturn. Also good. People complained that it was on rails, but I It was it. on rails. I have a problem with rails. Yeah, I don't <laughs> agree. Rails. Shouldn't be in the top 20. All right, next game. <laughs> <laughs> Pac-Man versus GameCube. Never played it. Oh, Pac-Man versus for the for Game the GameCube. Game. Yeah, N- not Pac-Man mm. versus GameCube, but that would have been <laughs> fun. <laughs> that would have rocked. That would have rocked. Yeah, That'd you know, if, if you had a fighting game, Pac-Man versus GameCube, yeah. that's that sounds like a great game. I'd it's one of the best party games ever made to grace console. It says so. Uh, I don't know. I'd never, like to never play. heard of it actually. Yeah. So can't say. I'm not sure. Can't be good if I'd never heard of it. Yep. Well, then we wouldn't. Well, it, There'd it, be no good games. It's there. a multiplayer Pac-Man where some of the players are the ghosts and the other players. Right, the exactly. All right. Yeah. Okay. Next one. Guardian Hero Saturn. Don't know about it. Yeah. Whatever. It's. Oh, wait a minute. It's made by Treasure. It must be good. Thumbs up for me. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Treasure makes some great games. So, Beyond Good and Evil, PS2, GameCube, Xbox. I've played it. It's good. Yeah. Why is it good? It's a. It's got a very different aesthetic and a very different way of looking at things. What kind of game is it? Uh, it's sort of a third-person adventure game, but you do things like take pictures of different things. Uh, it's not real violent. It's. It's got a very weird world and different creatures and stuff. It's just cool. very imaginative. 
All right. No violence, camera, thumbs down. <laughs> well, Tom gives it a thumbs up, so uh, it right. might, might be one you want to play. Tie. <laughs> Samba de Amigo, Dreamcast. I love this game. Yeah. Dave, tell I, us about it. I did a little dance. did a little dance to the <laughs> Can you explain TV. it, Dave? You, you, in uh, uh, 30 seconds or less. Go. Uh, you have two maracas. Somehow there's these little sensors on the floor that sense how far they are away from the floor, and you have to uh, shake your maracas at the right time to burst bubbles on the screen. We like, like shaking maracas. Thumbs up. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Snatcher for the sake of CD, plus a few others if you read Japanese. Uh, i never heard of it. <laughs> I, I've heard of it. Uh, it's an RPG-like adventure game, I think. And uh, I, I've heard really good things about it, so uh, I would give it a thumbs up. What do you guys think? Why not? All right, thumbs up. River City Ransom, NES, GBA. Uh, that's that sort of Double Dragon-ish game. Yeah. yeah, it was all right. I wouldn't say it was one of the top 20 games. Thumbs well, down. They, yeah. you know, medium thumbage. Medium thumbage, yeah. Nah, down. Okay, down thumbage. <laughs> All right. Fantasy Star 2 Genesis. Uh, I, this doesn't seem like a game nobody played, so I don't even think it belongs on the hmm. list. Fantasy Star 2? Give Don't me a break, dude. That's huge. <laughs> You've never heard of Fantasy Star? I've heard of it. I haven't played yeah. it yet. Oh, yeah, but it's it's highly popular, so I don't, yeah. I don't think it belongs on the list, so uh, I'm not giving it a thumbs down. I just believe it. That maybe these are top 19. Miscategorized. Yeah. Yes, miscategorized. There you go. <laughs> Rocket Knight Adventures Genesis. Don't know. Yeah, Don't me know. neither. Yeah, we don't know about that one. Silhouette Mirage, PlayStation Saturn. Don't know. Here's another one. Virtua Tennis, Dreamcast Arcade. Everybody oh, yeah, played, that. played that. Dude, that doesn't belong <laughs> in the top 20 nobody's ever played. Well, if you it's had a Dreamcast. top 18 now. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Here's another one. XCOM UFO Defense. Yeah. That's a great PC. game. A lot of people played that, was, that, that was that super popular. XCOM yeah, UFO <laughs> Defense is one of the best uh, tactical turn-based yeah. combat games yeah. ever made. It's great. All right, so the top 17 now. Uh, Choo Choo Rocket Dreamcast GBA. I played this game. Yeah, I played it pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. it wasn't bad. Not great, but it's a good little. I'm know, guessing that game. is one that nobody played. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> the Adventures of Cookies and Cream for the PS2. I don't know. About Never heard of that. Just by the name, I gotta give it a thumbs down. <laughs> it says it's one of the most underrated co-op experiences. This game is about true cooperative game mechanics. What are you doing? Making recipes? <laughs> <laughs> Take your cookie across the street. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It says uh, it doesn't tell what the game's about, other than it's a co-op base. So uh, what else? What's the next one? Uh, the next one is Puyo Pop Fever, Dreamcast, GameCube, DS, PS2, PSP. Uh, don't know what that is. It's a puzzle game. I played it. That's pretty good. Um, probably a bit underrated in terms of puzzle games. So I would give it a thumbs up. All right, Ogre Battle SNES, PlayStation, GBA. I've heard that game is good, but I haven't played it. All right, don't know about that. Herzog's Wii, Genesis. Wii. Oui? Is that uh, what it is? I don't know. Is it? I don't know. Z W E I. Zwee. That's what I said. Then you went, wee. Wee. All right, well, I just like saying wee. So, yeah, I'll play that one. All right. Here's one that I know. And again, a game that like everybody knows about, so how can it be on this list? Shadowrun. Shadowrun's great. Now, how can you not admire Shadowrun? It's got elves, it's got orcs, it's got high tech, and it's set in Seattle. <laughs> it's, it's an awesome, awesome game. True. And the last game on the list Propeller Arena Dreamcast. Never heard of it. Okay, now I know about this game. <laughs> a game on this list I know about. Okay. I know about a lot of them, but Tom took uh, took over, so I was letting him go. All right, so the deal <laughs> is a Propeller Arena for Dreamcast was a game that uh, they canceled right at the end of the Dreamcast's life. And why did they cancel it, Tom? Because uh, nobody was buying Dreamcast anymore? Well, that'd be, that's probably the real reason. The reason that they said is one of the levels uh, is like plane combat, and it took oh. place in a city. Oh, and did you get to fly the planes into tall buildings? You or could, something? yes. Uh, so they said okay. because of that, they're going to have to cancel this game. 
Well, I eventually got the game. Apparently, uh, somebody got a version of it, even though it was never released, and uh, <laughs> released it to uh, several sources onto the internet, and I was able to acquire a version of it and play it. Is it fun? It's actually really fun. I like the game. But you know what the thing is? The level with the tall buildings is is minimal. Like, there's tons of other levels. So they right. could have easily cut it, which makes me think that they just dropped it because they didn't want to produce any more Dreamcast games. Hmm. But uh, it's a cool game. If you can get a hold of it, I recommend it. It's fun. So uh, it occurs to me that that whole segment was one big long troll. Anyone who disagrees with us, please come on the forums and you know <laughs> tell us how much we suck. Uh, I'm saying all those games sucked. So anyone who disagrees troll. with me, yeah, <laughs> come, you come tell me why you think I'm wrong, and I'll tell you why you're wrong. Thumbs right. up for Woody the troll. <laughs> all right, cool. Well, it's on to the retro respect section. It's time for the Retro Respect section. What are we talking about this time? Wars come a star. Star Wars, that's right. The history of Star Wars games. How do we come up with this topic? Well, some of our listeners wrote into the forums, and this was something that they had mentioned. You said by popular demand. Popular demand, that's right. Yeah, at first I was like, oh, that's the stupidest idea I ever heard. But then we thought, <laughs> no, we, we got to pander to our audience, so why not? No, you said it was a good idea, Woody. Yeah, okay, I did. All right, so the people that we talked about, I guess it was Revenant, Dragon 57, and how do you pronounce the last one? I don't know, Ms. Ager? It's M-S-A-E-G-E-R. It could be M. Sager. M. Sager. Massager. Massager. I don't know. I don't know. So let us know how you pronounce your name so we don't screw it up next time. But Seager. All right. Yeah. So I thought, yeah, that should be easy, right? There's lots of information on Star Wars games. That probably won't take too long to put that kind of segment together. And besides, right? there weren't very many Star there Wars games. There weren't very games, many right? Star Wars games. <laughs> it turns out that there was a lot of Star Wars games. <laughs> so uh, we've got a list here of Star Wars games. We're going to go through some of them quickly. We'll probably pause on the ones that we remember most fondly. But uh, there's but a for, lot of Star first, Wars games. First, you know, just give a ballpark. How many, how many games do we find? Oh, there's more than I even... I like. But, but yeah. even how many games do we even have notes on? Do we even find... Like 50-some games. All right. Yeah, 50 so. games. Here <laughs> we go. <laughs> and I don't think we're going to spend time on all 50, but uh, I wrote it down just in case we wanted to. And uh, we're not including any portables in this list. And we're just going to go through them in chronological order and give our impressions of those games. So, it all started in 1982. What game came out? Empire Strikes Back for Atari 2600 and in television. Who made it? Parker Brothers. Yeah, do you remember this game? I, I remember this game. It was awesome. Oh, yeah. Okay, so this game had the uh, the walkers took place on the Battle of Hoth. Is that what it's called? Yeah, it Hoth. Is. Yeah. 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 yeah they're, uh, it's a side-scroller, and uh, I had the 2600 version as well, and I was a little upset. Really? Because? Because the Intellivision version was much better looking. <laughs> I swear, I was really pissed off about it. I was like, man, look at... And Intellivision actually put it on the back of their box. Well, wasn't that true for all the 2600 versus Intellivision games? Because uh, I had a 2600, but I was always envious of the Intellivision people. Me too, yeah. yeah. So I, this was a really good game. Uh, it was an awesome game, even on the Atari. Yeah, so a side-scroller, you're, uh, you have the walkers, you got to take care of them, and, and the attack on the rebel base on Hoth. Why do you think that so many of the games have focused in on the Battle of Hoth as being the coolest? Because it's the coolest battle. Is it really? I Empire Strikes it. Back was by far the most superior movie. Exactly, I agree <laughs> with Woody, 100% hmm. on that. That one and the concur. Battle of Hoth yeah. and the Battle of Hoth, Hoth. was a classic. It was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. just because you like the Ewoks, Tom. You know, don't bring us all. No, down. no. <laughs> what, what I'm what I'm wondering is, yeah, and Jar Jar. Uh, yeah, Hoth was cool, and the movie was cool. 
but it, that battle does not take place in space. And you know, you think of Star like, Wars, and you think yeah. of you know the space vehicles. That was a whole different series. Uh, we'll get to space battles are boring. In <laughs> uh, a lot the, of times, it was kind of an innovative uh, space. I mean, or, or had great effects had, too. It was, it was pretty neat machines. Like, yes. you hadn't seen yeah. other, neat machines. Yeah. The, okay, it maybe is. we can agree that the Walker is a cool machine. Yeah. Yes. All right. So on to 1983. Uh, also on the Atari 2600, we had Star Wars: Return of the Jedi Death Star Battle again by Parker Brothers. Uh, this one. Uh, wasn't as good, I don't think, as uh, Empire Strikes Back. Did you guys play this at all? I think I blotted it from my memory. I don't yeah. remember it all. Yeah, so players control the Millennium Falcon. It's kind of this, uh, tries to be a, a kind of a flying simulation on the 2600, which uh, you can imagine is not too good. No. You destroy TIE fighters, you avoid the uh, space station super weapon, you fly through the hole in the Death Star shield, and you ultimately destroy the facility, and then you do it again. And then you do it again. <laughs> and then you do it again. Yeah, so it was. Kind of like the movies. Ooh, yeah. I don't know. How many times do you see Star Wars? No, I'm just saying that was the same storyline in three of the movies. Oh, yeah, <laughs> three of the same. Yeah. So this is almost exactly the same. Right, right. Yeah, so, right. yeah. <laughs> Not that great. Uh, also in 1983, we have Jedi Arena from Parker Brothers, again, for that great console, the Atari 2600. Do you remember this game at all? I do vaguely remember it. It was... I remember the lightsaber fighting. I don't yeah. remember how. I just remember lightsabers. And it had that yeah. thing that shot the laser bolts at you. Exactly. Yes. yes. Oh, That's what yes. the main game was. Yeah. It was. Yeah. Like when Luke's training in the Millennium Falcon. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, I have to look for that. It. Well, it's not very good, Dave. It's well, very still. disappointing. You think you think it's cool, and it's cool for about ten minutes, and then you're like, yeah, well, okay. But it is on the 2600, so we should probably get it because yeah. we're. Uh, you know, Dave and I rebuilt the, uh, the thing. Hacked the, the flashbacks so yep, it plays so the old cartridges. We should get these old cartridges. And you know, actually, I find that when I get the old cartridges, they're interesting for about 10 minutes. And, yeah. and then they're just interesting on your shelf. <laughs> but they're interesting on your shelf. Yeah, exactly. Pitfall's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting on the web when you... When a, that's a whole tangent. I don't think we need to do that. All right, so... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So that was the last uh, home console game for eight years. Wow. From 1983. What and, happened? Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. But there's another game that came out in 1983 that's one of my favorite oh, yeah. games of all time. The Star Wars arcade game. Exactly. By Atari. That, I think, was the first Star Wars game that was really, really good. Yeah. Recreation of the epic battle on the Death Star. And it, I love the voice clips. You had the sample yeah. voice clips. You had and this is the one with vector graphics? Yeah, it's yeah. downstairs. You want to go play it? And no. it, had, it had the idea of using the Force... Yeah, exactly. Uh, it, oh, you could use a force if you didn't shoot right. when you went down. The if you thing, didn't you shoot points, at all yeah. going through the, the yeah. trench. Uh, it had... To me, this was the game that really did what I wanted, which was, you know, made me feel like I was there. I was in that, you know, Death Star battle at the end of the first movie. And it was great. It, it was... The it was, cockpit version of the game was awesome. You know, you people yes. talk about movies, yes. games based on movies not being good, but this was good. Yes. And it did a... I think it did a very good job of capturing the feel of the movies. And I think the color vector graphics was a big reason. that It looks great. Like I say, I have one downstairs, so a practice podcast, we go play it a bit. All right. All right, so one other funny thing about this game um, is... Uh, I. I there's a site that has a lot of the old Atari documents on it, and I remember reading this and so when, a, a while ago. So when we talked about this segment, I was like, well, i got to dig that up. And it's basically when they made this game, Lucas had to approve everything, right. all the messages in the game and stuff. And so they sent this whole thing with a whole list of uh, problems, and this is my favorite problem that they found. They said, uh, in the game, message 14 says, Death Star is X parcels away. We assume you, you meant parsecs. 
but this too wouldn't be right. A parsec is 3.26 light years, a distance much too great for the Death Star to be visible. Even light seconds might be too great a distance. In fact, any measurement which includes Earth terms probably wouldn't be appropriate. One suggestion is to use the unit of light ticks, which is about 3,000 miles. <laughs> so did they do that? I, I don't think they did, no. I don't think this they seems, did. Just call it a parcel and say that's a light tick. Parcel. But it's funny that they called it parcels instead or of parsecs. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> well, apparently, apparently uh, they hadn't seen the movie. Yeah, that was another question that they had in later. They were like, "Have you seen any of the movies?" They were being totally <laughs> like sarcastic to the people at Atari, and it's like, nice. So we mentioned no more home games. So what happened in 1984, Tom? Uh, Return of the Jedi in the arcades, another Atari game. And uh, just to mention, we we skipped this on the last one. It has the yoke controller. That's another cool thing about the arcade game. Yeah, it's got the X Y yoke controller, so you can move it forward, back, left, and right. It's really a cool controller. And, and uh, this was more an orthogonal view. It was like you you wasn't it like diagonal kind of over. Oh yeah, exactly. Return of the Jedi was the raster based non vector game. Right. Right. Yeah, and it was that kind of view. Yeah, I definitely remember driving the speeder bikes and having to go through the hollow logs and yeah. It was pretty cool. And then there was the one where you you played Chewie in the in the Adat was it not? No, those are the big ones. It was the little the little two legged machines. Those are Adats. Yeah, the two legs are the Adats. Wouldn't ST is something else? Okay. Anyway, there's there's like three different modes of the game. It was it was all right. So I didn't like this one as well as the original Star Wars, mostly because it it did use raster graphics, not vector. It was kind of a weird perspective. I didn't like the isometric view that much. Right. Personally, but. In 1985, the Empire Strikes Back arcade game came out, and that used the same technology as the original Star Wars. So we're talking uh, color vector graphics, uh, and you use snow speeders to attack walkers. You get to control the Millennium Falcon. It's very much like the uh, the original Star Wars arcade game. Did you guys play that at all? Now, was that widespread? Because I don't remember that one at all. Oh, it was cool because there would be a part where you'd like, uh, it was widespread where you'd say, you know, you have so many tow cables left, and when the walkers yeah, would be coming yeah. by, you could put the tow cable and take take them down. Ah, okay, now it's right. a little familiar. It's That's vector on, graphics, yeah, okay. and uh, in fact, Clay Cowgill, he, he lives in Portland as well, he's built a device, so if you have the Star Wars arcade game, you can put this little thing in, and you can switch between Empire Strikes Back and Star Wars on the arcade game, but I yeah. uh, mm-hmm. haven't got cool. it yet, but I want mm-hmm. to. So uh, there's a huge uh, explosion in the universe at this point. Literally. <laughs> it was the destruction of the video game industry. Right. So from 1985 to 1991, there were no Star Wars games created. Which were there is any good games because for- there would be a lot more on the segment I'd had to cover, and or yeah. we'd have had to cover. So, uh, so what's next, Tom? So in 1991, uh, the Star Wars game for uh, NES came out. And this was a side-scroller. You, you know, run and jump. You're Luke Skywalker. Uh, or one of the other characters traveling around. You meet up with R2-D2 and C-3PO and Obi-Wan Kenobi, and eventually you get to travel through Mos Eisley and the Death Star. And most of the time you're controlling Luke or Han or Leia, but some of the parts of the game do include a first-person Millennium Falcon flying through the asteroid belt and an overhead view Death Star. Right, and there's a whole series of games on the NES like this. They had that Star Wars in 91. In 92, they came out with uh, Empire Strikes Back, which is similar. It's these kind of side-scrolling run-and-jump platformers, and I really like these games. Do you remember these at all? Do you guys play these? I didn't have an NES at at that time. Oh, my. I didn't play most of these. And you're a gamer. You didn't have an NES. But these games were good, and I like the SNES versions as well. We'll be talking about those in a bit. But uh, the Empire Strikes Back, the same kind of game. So also that same year in 92, like I mentioned, Super Star Wars came out for the SNES. 
and it's just basically an improved version of Star Wars from the NES, but it, and it was a side-scrolling shooter, but it also had modes where you would uh, you would take control of vehicles. Uh, and when you did those, it took advantage of the SNES Mode 7 graphics. In fact, you were just playing one of these. Yeah, you, we you were just were... playing it before the podcast. It is pretty good, although it has some stuff that definitely wasn't in the movie at all. <laughs> yeah. Like having to jump your speeder thing over gaps between well, the uh, cliffs and... Yeah, yeah and, and and getting picked up by pterodactyls and that's you were playing uh, the the later one but the, this, yeah. yeah but uh yeah but it's the same type of game yeah that's true but I mean I I found these games a lot of fun and I don't know I because I like the lightsaber the way the lightsaber sounds and the yeah. sound effects were really good I like the mode seven graphics and to me a lot of the best games I've ever played were on the SNES. Because they're just so fluid and smooth. Do you yeah. notice that on the SNES? There's no slowdown. It's, yeah. It's, it was a great system for can, making. Can you describe Mode 7 for people who probably have no idea what that is? Or It's kind of the... Like me. <laughs> it's the ability to like do zooming and zoom out type graphics. It was used in a lot of the SNES games. Like it, A lot of times it'll look kind of pixelated and then form the image. Yeah. Like I, A game that used it quite a bit was ActRaiser. I don't know if you guys played that game on the SNES, but... Uh, but a lot of games use this Mode 7 graphics, huh. so it's it fairly cool. It's mm, unique cool. about the SNES. So in 93, we have Super Empire Strikes Back, which is, uh, again, basically a reinterpretation of the Empire Strikes Back game on the SNES. Uh, and apparently, uh, a lot of people thought this was a huge improvement over the original game because there was more levels, more characters, better graphics... And by the game's end, one of the cool parts is you got to use some force power. So this is like one of the first games where you got this force power capability within the game. I, I guess one of the complaints people had about this series of games is that they were way too hard. Like, you know, <laughs> maybe Tom can attest to that after playing that game for a bit. But it was, it was somewhat hard, yeah. With this game, they made it a bit easier, but, uh, but it was still hard. Also in 93, moving away from the consoles, we have X-Wing for the PC uh, as well as Macintosh, that was by Lucas Arts and Totally Games. So, anybody here remember X Wing? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. X Wing really on the PC their was big. to make a flight simulator based in the Star Wars yeah. universe. It was very popular. It, was, it did pretty well. Yeah, at the time, the two big series like that were uh, Wing Commander right. and X Wing. And I think at the time I liked Wing Commander a little bit better, but. X-Wing was pretty cool, too, and again, it gave you that feeling like you were put into the movies and flying those ships. I guess one of the things that they said differentiated it from Wing Commander is that it um, it featured, like, in-flight 3D polygons instead of bitmaps and sprites. So that's apparently something that was different from what, what was in Wing Commander. And it, uh, I guess emissions were a lot more linear, though, than Wing Commander. I now, I may be wrong on this, but I... I isn't it true that on the Wing Commander series, Luke Mark Hamill did some of the voice acting? That was like on Wing Commander Three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's kind, of, kind of ironic. That was like the first multimedia. Yeah, Wing Commander and, and right. Yeah. And it's just funny that he uh, took part in a, a competing series. Yeah, very true. Well, one thing that was also a lot of people mentioned uh, about the first uh, X-Wing is that the MIDI music from the original movie is part of it. So it's supposed to be really cool built using this uh, iMuse music system. And what was cool about it is that it would seamlessly change in response to like you when you completed missions or new enemies arrived. Yeah, I remember that. The, the music changing in response to what happened and what you did was really cool. That game uh, won the Origins Award for Best Fantasy or Science Fiction Computer Game of 1993. 
1994, we get Super Return of the Jedi on the SNES. Again, following the same formula of the platforming, side-scrolling. And you got to play as an Ewok. Yeah, which made Tom very happy. (laughs) Tom is a big fan of the Ewoks. And and it had the Endor speeder bike chase, uh, Millennium Falcon. And then also in 94, we get the sequel to X-Wing called TIE Fighter. Again, LucasArts and Totally Games for the PC and Macintosh. And this let you play as the Empire. So well, I also understand this was even much more popular than the original X-Wing, which was popular because it was, it, was, it was a just much better engine, apparently. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was a pretty, I think it was on a whole better game. Yeah. One thing I really liked about it, or I thought was really interesting about it, um, was uh, as the X-Wing fighter, you got to blow TIE fighters out of the, out of the sky left and right. And they were pretty fragile machines. I mean, ships right. as, as 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 you're from the X-wing. And instead of changing that around to make it a, a easier game for the player, your Tie Fighter was pretty fragile, and so you had to make <laughs> really? sure you didn't get shot in, ah. when playing. So it became them. much more of a real dogfight yeah. rather than just space blast them. Apparently, it used a, a technique called garage. Is that garage? Garage <laughs> shading and effect right. to make curves and mass appear more realistic. And what's kind of interesting is a uh, Tie Fighter used a three-dimensional HUD heads-up display, and apparently they didn't have that in the original X-wing. I'm not sure how that hmm. happened, but X-wing uh, game. Or? Yeah, yeah. Tie Fighter introduced the HUD. It says so right. that it will allow the player to see the target's relative orientation and avoid dangerous head-on confrontations. Ooh. So, right, well, that's what they said. It was just—it was a much more advanced game, yeah. even though it was seemed to be just you know the same. It was—it was marketed as the same game, just the other side. It was actually a much more advanced game. I remember fun. playing these games. I rented them in college, and yeah. uh, but I don't remember the thing that I'm going to say right now. Um, the game storyline that well, but to me, after doing this segment, this kind of sounds lame to me that they made the players' role somewhat sympathetic. I mean, I would have rather gone after the the Rebel Alliance and just taken them all out of the sky, but it said that the missions oh. deal with the elimination of pirates and other cr- criminals as well as civil wars or Imperials and otherwise maintaining peace in the galaxy. Right. Hmm. Well, that was, it was kind of... It was made so that you were part of the Empire and that you were, you were bringing... I, but I, I want to take down Rebel, uh, the Rebel yeah. Alliance. That's, well, that's kind of uncool. But, but that's because you're evil in nature. Right. Whereas most well, I learned people... it from watching you. <laughs> <laughs> Fair, enough. Fair enough. So that seems kind of lame, but whatever. So also in 1994, we have a new franchise that's launched. Rebel Alliance by LucasArts. Rebel for the Assault. PC... Oh, did I say Alliance? Yeah. Oh, it's getting late. Rebel Assault by LucasArts for the PC, Sega CD, Mac, and 3DO. Do you guys remember this game? 3DO. No, not 3DO. <laughs> Do you remember the Rebel Assault? I have Rebel Assault, in fact. I still have the CD-ROM. So what was kind of cool about this game is uh, it was the first CD-ROM only game published by LucasArts, and so it used uh, digitized footage like that had the part like the the caverns. There was like uh, you'd control ships, and it'd have a digitized background as you flew around. So it was really cool looking. Now the gameplay was pretty sucky, but it looked really cool because you get uh, these you know digitized graphics, and you're flying right over the top of them. And now, what, well, I guess what are... Oh, I remember this now. So there were these videos that would be in the background. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But they weren't really... I mean, they were just sort of a video loop. They weren't really, like, responding to what you did. No, in fact, that was one of the, the complaints, is that um, it was very... Uh, it made you go certain ways. It was almost way too much on rails, I guess, for people. Mm-hmm. But the thing I do remember about this is I saw it at Incredible Universe... That's the first time I kind of saw it. And they used to have a computer section, and they had Rebel Assault there, and there was just a huge crowd of people around wanting to see Rebel Assault because it was like the first time that you really had 
you know, it wasn't graphics, but you had the images that made you feel like you're really inside the universe. Uh, critically, it didn't do so well, just because it was too linear in terms of gameplay. All right, 1995. 95, we get uh, a game called Dark Forces, which was, you know, it took Lucas you... LucasArts, PC, Macintosh, PlayStation. Yeah, it took you out of the, the ships and the space battles, and it put you on foot. And it was kind of a, a Doom-style game where you would you would wander around and, and uh, shoot a blaster. Well, that's what I remember. The first time I saw this was on Friends Machine, and my instant thought was, oh, Lucas copied Doom. Yeah, and Lucas exactly made a Doom game. Too, yeah. yeah. So but it, apparently a lot of people liked it, but I, I never got a chance to play. So yeah. this was released uh, a year before Quake. Some people believe that Dark Forces was created because there were so many unofficial Star Wars-themed mods for Doom, and they wanted to get a real official game out there that had, was a Doom-style game in the Star Wars universe. Um, I personally have a really funny memory of this game because I was at a trade show, and somebody had set up this game, and they were using it to demo this sort of virtual reality helmet gizmo that they had, where you'd put on this, this sort of face shield that had a screen on it, and it would, it would react to the movement of your head. So as you turned your head, it would be as if you know, the screen would move the way that you were looking. Right. And it was supposed to give you this really you know, cool 3D virtual reality kind of a feel. But after using that for five or ten minutes, it would just give you a splitting headache <laughs> because of the fact that there was a lag between when your head moved and when the world moved. And it made you feel like you were really drunk or something. It was, it was, nice. it was really annoying. But I mean, I like the idea of it, but it just wasn't very playable. Um, in terms, but the, the game itself was playable. Yeah. In terms of the game engine, one thing that was kind of interesting is that they did have things that weren't available in Doom, like rooms over 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 other rooms, polygonal objects, haze and fog, and the ability to look up and down. So that's kind of cool. Uh, the biggest flaw with the game? Do you know what it is, Tom? Um, well, you couldn't, didn't have a lightsaber. Yeah, lightsaber. That, yeah, that's part <laughs> of it. And you didn't get to play Luke, I don't think. No. A lot of people didn't like it. But it, there was no multiplayer, was well, there? No multiplayer, exactly which right. Was what, which was what made Doom awesome, even <laughs> right. more than right. the engine. Yeah, so no multiplayer. And the game introduced the character of Kyle Katarn. Is that yeah, Katarn? Yeah, Kyle Katarn. And he's in a lot of the upcoming games we'll be talking about. So, All right, 1996, what do we got going on? Well, in 96, we get Rebel Assault 2, The Hidden Empire, LucasArts, for PC, PlayStation, and Macintosh. Uh, this used what they called the Insane Game Engine. I love the, what it stands for. Yeah, so Insane stands for Interactive Streaming Animation Engine. And what other games... This is kind of crazy, the other types of games, because this is like a shooting, fast action game, <laughs> but look at the other games that engine was used it on. It was used in Full Throttle and Curse of Monkey Island and yeah. The Dig. yeah. Uh, this game introduced the ability to play using ships that weren't in the previous games, like uh, the Y-Wing, uh, Krellian Transport, and new kinds of opponents like TIE Interceptors. And I guess they fixed that whole uh, problem with it, like being uh, you know, on, on a track, basically, where you couldn't do much. And I guess the videos now would move and rotate according to the player's moves, so there was an illusion of steering the ship. So maybe that's the one you played. Maybe you played Rebel Assault 2. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. yeah. All right, so what else we got going on in 96? We have Star Wars Shadows of the Empire by LucasArts and Nintendo, and that's for the Nintendo 64 and Windows. So this was based on the Star Wars Shadows of Empire multimedia project. Yeah, do you remember that? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it, was a, it was a backstory between uh, Episode 5 and Episode 6, I believe. 
And I remember they released that, and then this game came out. And it was one of the first games around for the uh, Nintendo 64, because I remember picking it up right when I got the system. Yeah, so you play as Dash Rendar, and you're helping Luke Skywalker rescue Princess Leia. And you have a, a third-person perspective, so it sort of resembles um, you know, something along the lines of Tomb Raider. Uh, I remember this game, if it's the one I remember, as a game where you fall off cliffs a lot. Probably so. I remember, yeah, exactly. I, I think a lot of the jumping stages uh, made it difficult to uh, to control. But I guess the the stages a lot of people remember were like the uh, vehicle stages. Like the the first level again is the assault on Hoth, and I think people thought that was the greatest level, you know, on a yeah. Nintendo sixty four game. And uh, but the rest of the game pretty much sucked because it would go to these other like three D kind of action type games, and they wanted more of the first level. So. Uh, Overall, the game, you know, had some good levels, but overall, maybe not that big of a success. But I really do like the graphics, and I went back and played it recently when we were, when I was working on this, and uh, I was impressed by the graphics it's still today. So, so in 1997, we get X-wing vs. Tie Fighter, LucasArts, and Totally Games for PC, Windows. So this is a step up from the previous games. It requires a joystick, no mouse. Uh, it has CD audio soundtrack, high-resolution graphics, texture mapping on the ships, and uh, multiplayer. But and nobody liked this game. Do you know why? Um, I do not. No. Why didn't people like it? Because it was the only one in the series that was exclusively multiplayer. Uh, it lacked okay. a storyline. And uh, LucasArts figured out that a lot of what people liked about the X-Wing and TIE Fighter games was the storyline. There was none in this game. So, in fact, most people don't even consider this part of the series. See, now that's funny because there's other games like Quake or whatever where I never, I don't even know what the storyline would have been. Um, <laughs> I, I only played online multiplayer. So, I guess that just shows was, the kind of people who played these games. Was this just one on one? Like one X Wing, one TIE Fighter? Or was it, I don't know. Uh, I didn't have sure. it. It says uh, and or personal practice only. So, I don't know. The I single never player was personal. Yeah. 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 So it doesn't sound that interesting. Yeah, I can see that. So also in 97 is Jedi Knight Dark Forces 2. So uh, Kyle Katarn is back or whatever. Yeah, and this was the first uh, game where you could control a Jedi and use both the Force and lightsabers in, in multiplayer. A, in a multiplayer setting, yeah, I remember this one. Yeah, you're Kyle Katarn. You start out with no knowledge of the Force, but as you go through the game, you get more and more Force powers, which yeah. make you into a real Jedi. And I gotta say again, I, I played this game. I only played the multi-layer, so I don't know the storyline. But I, I, other people may not like it. I don't know. I, I really enjoyed playing with the lightsabers in this one. I guess one of the things that people remark a lot about this game is that it's it, your ethical decisions affected gameplay, and I think we've seen that concept a lot more since. I'm not sure if this is the first game where that took place, but it's probably one of right. the first well, maybe shooter type games. Yes, maybe one of the first in the F, FPS. Because some of the uh, Ultima genre. games, yeah, because the Ultima's definitely were the oh yeah, games I'm talking, that I'm talking that. Uh, FPS, FPS, yeah, yeah. yeah. So in '97, we also got Masters of how do you pronounce that? Terrascasi. Yeah, LucasArts for the PlayStation, and this is just to me. Okay, when I was doing this particular segment or working on it, I, it's it, I found that anything, any new genre of game that LucasArts could shove Star Wars in, they did. <laughs> I mean, literally. And so like, this is a fighting game. This is oh, a yeah. fighting game. With, and not a very good one, because no. I remember it. So it's, um, it's like Virtual Fighter with Star Wars? No, it's like it's more Soul Blade or Tekken. Okay. It's it, okay. Yeah, it's, it's like uh, Tekken, and it, it's not as good as Tekken. Yeah. 
But um, my favorite part about it, uh, reading about it, and did you ever play this game? I yeah, played it. I did. It, play it, it was yeah. horrible. Uh, lightsabers were treated much like baseball bat type weapons in the game. Yeah, that was one of the things that that, <laughs> that was very glaringly obvious as soon as you start playing this game. Is you know, if you've seen the Star Wars movies, if you know anything about Star Wars, if you get hit with a lightsaber, you're going to be losing body parts, you know, or dead. Sliced in half. <laughs> but in this game, you could repeatedly hit your opponent with lightsaber, and it would just you know knock a small amount of damage off of their health bar and they'd just be still standing <laughs> so there. like a throwback to the and, like the bad dudes where you have yeah, metal pipes in your bashing yeah, people. Yeah, it, it, was, it was very strange. Um, it also was noted for, for having a lot of weird, obscure Star Wars characters and not necessarily having all the main ones that you really wanted to be. I like the, uh, the quote on kind of the, the concept behind the game. The Emperor sought the services of assassin Arden Lin... To eliminate the Alliance's key members, Luke and others find out about the Empire's plot and challenge Arden face-to-face. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, whatever. I've heard worse flavor text than that. <laughs> Not much worse, but... <laughs> All right, 1998. What do we got going on, Tom? Rogue Squadron 3D, LucasArts, and Factor 5 for Nintendo 64 on Windows. And I played this on Nintendo 64. It was great. It had a lot of different environments. You could fly around on different planets. Um, it, the story was in between A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back. I guess they basically took the first level of Shadows of the Empire that we talked about before that was really popular and made that into a complete game. Yeah, and this was one of the first games on Nintendo 64 to support the expansion pack, which allowed a higher quality of graphics to be displayed. And it had a lot of voice work, some in-game cinematics... So you liked this game? I liked it a lot. I played it a lot, yeah. So it also won the Origins Award for the best action computer game of 1998. All right, so then we go on to Star Wars Rebellion, also in 1998. Looks to Cool Hand Interactive for the PC and Windows. This one was a real-time strategy game. And it sucked. It was kind of like Master of Orion. Tell us what you really think, Chris. Uh, I think it sucked. It had some turn-based elements... It's one of those micromanagement sort of games where you command uh, different manufacturing of types of units and sending things out on Man, missions. Man, I love those things. <laughs> <laughs> Have you played this game, Dave? I haven't played this game, though. It's like yeah. a comment. I guess this game uh, split, and the only reason I say it sucked is that it split many fans and players. Many considered it to be one of the lowest quality products of LucasArts. <laughs> <laughs> Others praised it, stressing the value of gameplay over graphics and considering a high watermark before the dearth of games connected to the Phantom Menace, which I, I can agree with that. But <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, it's, it's really the first real-time strategy game that was in the Star Wars universe, but uh, people weren't so uh, sold on it. Well, in 1999, X-Wing Alliance came out, and because of the dislike of the multiplayer X-Wing versus TIE Fighter that we mentioned earlier, some people consider this game to be the real third game in the series. Yeah, it was the first game that had a full voiceover soundtrack and full in-flight dialogue. Uh, it put you in the role of a young member of a galactic trading family, and you took control of different transport ships and worked your way across the galaxy, earning money, joining the Rebel Alliance, and taking part in the assault on the second Death Star. Did you play this one, Dave? Uh, no. Sorry. Can't comment. <laughs> <laughs> You, that, that's that's no limitation on your commenting. <laughs> you can comment all you want. All right, you played it. Sounds terrible. Yeah. Sucked. All right. <laughs> Actually, it was one of the more popular. Was it um, good? Yeah, it had the most missions of any X-Wing title to date. People loved it. And like I said, they considered it the third in the series. And also in 99 was the first 
episode one Phantom Menace based game. Oh. Uh, LucasArts and Big 8 Productions for the PC and PlayStation. So this was another action uh, platformer similar to the SNES games we talked about. Uh, third person view like Tomb Raider, but had actions like jumping and climbing and pushing. Um, the plot is pretty much close to the Phantom Menace movie. And I guess the biggest downfall, like a lot of the LucasArts games, is the camera angle, fixed camera angle. So instead of using a camera that is set at a slight angle behind the character's shoulder, like Tomb Raider, it's basically fixed. That that may be the general consensus online, but i got to say, I've never played this, but the fact that the plot closely follows that of the movie, that's got to be the most... Uh, Draw, biggest drawback <laughs> to this game. Uh, it's got to be. It's got to be. Because the movie sucks so much. Yeah. I, yes. <laughs> Moving on to 2000, we have Star Wars Force Commander, LucasArts, and Ronin Entertainment for PC and Windows. This is another real-time strategy game with fully 3D graphics, and it has an optimized version of the 3D engine used for Rogue Squadron 3D. Isn't that weird? Yeah, it's weird that they take a, an engine from this sort of arcade flight simulator and use it in a real-time strategy game. Um, it's, it's intended to let you recreate classic ground battle sequences from the Star Wars films and take control of, again, the Imperial Walker, coolest device in the Star Wars universe. <laughs> Apparently so. <laughs> Rebel Defenses. Um, it was a highly anticipated game, but when it came out, it was sort of disappointing. Yeah. Graphics Core, weren't that great. Controls yeah. weren't that great. The 3D camera controls were a huge detriment to the game. They really got to get working on those cameras. You know, it's odd <laughs> that LucasArts... You'd think they'd be good at cameras, right? You'd think movie. the camera angles would be something that they'd know a lot about from working on the movie. I, th- I think it's a separate part of the company. Okay, just, it could be. So features a soundtrack, this is funny, that is at least as misguided as its 3D graphics. That's what somebody said. Because uh, it uses drum loops and heavy metal guitar chords just don't sit well with the classical strings and brass of the When you think soundtrack. of Star Wars Episode One, you don't think of heavy metal guitar? <laughs> this, well, yeah, this, was a, this was an Episode One. This is uh, it was this episodes four through oh, okay. six. Yeah. I think of Miko Star Wars this Star Wars theme. Oh really? Yeah, that's <laughs> what I think of. All right, well there you go. And then we have Star Wars Demolition, Lucas LucasArts, and who else? Luxoflux, PlayStation, PlayStation, and Dreamcast. I had this for the Dreamcast, or at least I rented it for the Dreamcast, I should say. And it's a vehicular combat game similar to like Twisted Metal. Uh, again, this is like. Star Wars, we want money. What's a popular franchise? Twisted Metal. All uh, right, let's put Star Wars stuff let's in it. Let's put Star Wars in it. So, uh, the one thing that's weird about this is it actually got pretty decent reviews from the media. So, um, even a broken clock is right twice a day. <laughs> that's true, Woody. That's <laughs> deep, deep thoughts. Yeah, I mean, it's it's your basic little battle tournament, uh, whatever modes in this game. It also had like high stakes and hunter droid modes. Um, and cont- contestants and vehicles arrive from all corners of the Star Wars galaxy, you know, to, to fight each other. So uh, the story is kind of funny. It says the Empire has outlawed the dangerous pod races, but Jabba has devised an even more dangerous underground con- contest to attract high-stakes gamblers from across the galaxy to his betting parlors on Tatooine. All right, so what's next, Tom? Star Wars Battle for Naboo, LucasArts and Factor Five for Nintendo 64 and Windows. So this is, you play as a Naboo leader, Gavin Sykes, in the fight against the Trade Federation. Uh, you're in tanks and other land vehicles. It's similar to like Rogue Squadron, right? Yeah. I remember this game. Yeah. 
And you get three lives to beat each of the missions, and if you die, you have to start over from the beginning, and you can't save. That's gotta suck. I don't think that's such a great design, really. That's the way the old games were, though, right? Yeah, it is. (laughs) It is. But it's not the old game world anymore. And then another one was uh, Star Wars Episode One Jedi Power Battles. PlayStation Uh, and Dreamcast. Yeah. This is one where you use your lightsaber, and you can attack droids and deflect the blaster shots and do some little platforming. But it's basically like the Star Wars Episode One Phantom Menace game, right? Same, similar gameplay, that kind of stuff. Yeah, more bad camera angles. Um, <laughs> it did let you play with a friend, though. Yeah. Yeah, that was actually something that sounded kind of cool. And then we get to one of my favorite Star Wars games. Star Wars Jar-Jar Episode Binks 1. and the... Oh, sorry. No, Star, <laughs> Star Wars Episode One Racer. This was the pod racing game for the Nintendo 64... And I really love this game. Even it was also I, on the Dreamcast, PC, and Mac. Just yeah. So well, even though I didn't especially like the Episode 1 movie, um, this game was very fun. You know, you get to have that very high sensation of speed in the pod racing, going through twisty tunnels, going outside. Um, it really was a lot of fun. I guess, you know, from the reviews, people said it was better than F-Zero X, and that, that was another racer on the N64. And... I guess it was even approaching the Wipeout XL on the PlayStation. Yeah, I would say this was the best racing game on the Nintendo 64. What about on the PlayStation? Um, Wipeout better? Wipeout might be a little better on the PlayStation, yeah. All right, move ahead to 2001. 2001 was Star Wars Rogue Leader uh, for LucasArts and Factor Five for the GameCube. That's really Rogue Squadron 2, right? Yeah, it was basically the Rogue Squadron. And you know, what battle did it have? Battle of Hoth, I'm guessing. (laughs) (laughs) The Battle of Hoth, that's right. Yeah. It was made even more authentic with the GameCube's advanced power. So this is like, if you notice, though, what's kind of interesting is a lot of these Star Wars games are only on the Nintendo consoles. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? I mean, it's it's, it's sort of too bad, isn't it? I mean, I I had had a Nintendo 64, so it's fine. It ties into uh, George Lucas's childish mentality. (laughs) Oh. I like the Nintendo, dude. Okay. And All then right, there's so Star Wars Starfighter. <laughs> I played this on Xbox. LucasArts, PlayStation yeah. 2, Xbox, PC. I, another Rogue Squadron style game. Is it arcade space shooter? Yeah. Not yeah. a lot of depth though. Um, Fourteen yeah. different levels, three different pilots. It does have a story. Story kind of holds the game together. And again, it takes place in the Episode Four to Six timeline. Did you play this game at all, Tom? I did play it just a little. I don't think I finished it. Um, you're stopping the invasion of Naboo. And then we get to a game that I consider to be extremely bizarre. It, it's just such a weird idea. Star Wars Super Bombad Racing. Also which in is, 2001. Just to- yeah, from Lucas Learning for the PlayStation 2. This is a kart racing game in the Star Wars universe. Again, taking any... Taking any genre and plugging Star Wars into it. Um, but it got really good reviews. I, yeah. I must say I have not played it. It's just that the concept seems really weird to me. Yeah, I never played it either, but apparently, it uh, as far as kart racing goes, it, it was supposed to be one of the best kart racing games out. So, And apparently, the little character models were uh, remarkably detailed, and they had like a lot of animation. I, they had really big heads, too, from the screenshots <laughs> right, yeah. stuck on the, on the car. So, They said that Jar Jar sticking his tongue out and making weird burbling noises is actually entertaining as opposed to nauseating, which I, I assume they were referring to the movie. Yeah, I can't believe it. But I can't believe it either. But uh, and now we come finally to an Xbox game. Well, a couple other ones were for Xbox too, Tom. Starfighter. That's true. And Obi Wan. Yeah. So Obi Wan, you're the young Obi Wan. 
and you're playing through the events leading up to episode one. And you get to use the lightsaber, and you have some force powers, like throwing people through the air. Um, lots of combat. Most of the game's levels seem to have a huge amount of enemies. Right. I guess it was kind of touted as a follow-up to Jedi Knight Dark Forces 2, but it fell way, way short I was going to say, though. those force powers sound just like what was in Dark Forces 2. Yeah. And it got horrible reviews. <laughs> horrible reviews. Horrible reviews. That's sad, Chris. Yeah. So also in 2001, we have Galactic Battlegrounds from LucasArts and Ensemble Studios. It's a big studio for the PC and the Mac. And it was a real, real-time real strategy game built on the Age of Empires 2 engine. And I know Dave's played it. He's I actually have yeah, played this one. All right. A game Dave's played. And uh, I played Age of Empires, thought that was really cool. And I felt like that Star Wars was, you know, wrong wrong size foot for the shoe. Was <laughs> <laughs> was it just like the same thing, just with Star Wars characters? Yeah, there? apparently it uh, got good, good reviews, and, and they had, uh, had had used the Age of Empires uh, engine. Um, re- really, uh, eh, I don't know. I, I, I guess I just didn't get into it. I guess the one thing that they thought was interesting about it is it, it had the addition of aircraft, you know, TIE Fighters, X-Wings, and a lot of the other real-time strategy games at the time didn't have those. So, so. And, and it's also notable for involving who? How do you pronounce that? Atachukuk. <laughs> Adichichuk? I don't know. <laughs> Chewbacca's father. So. Chewie. All right. Chewie. All right, on to 2002. In and- 2002, we get Star Wars Jedi Starfighter from LucasArts for PlayStation 2 and Xbox. And this has events taking place simultaneously to Episode 2. I guess that's the big draw of this game, was this came out before Episode 2. So a lot of people bought the game because they could see... Sort of a preview of, of yeah. the movie. But it's obviously a lot like the Starfighter game we talked about earlier, uh, but it uses the Jedi Starfighter craft, which was in the movie. It, it, it was a sleek and triangular. It's a craft of simple yet effective design. <laughs> but it only offered like basic lasers and agile maneuvering. But you could use these force uh, powers to fill in the alternate weapons like force reflex or force shockwave, etc. And you also got to use a Havoc spacecraft, which yeah, is more, more powerful, powerful but slower. I guess there's uh, two-player specific missions in this game, so that's pretty cool. And uh, you can play through it entirely in uh, split-screen co-op mode as well. So, Then for GameCube, PS2, and Xbox, we have Star Wars Clone Wars. I remember this game. And this game was mostly vehicular combat, uh, although occasionally you got to be on foot as Anakin Skywalker or Mace Windu. Um, the main vehicles are the Republic Tank, the Republic Gunship, and the Republic Walker. Did you play this game at all? No, I haven't played that one. Yeah, I played it. It was pretty good. It wasn't too bad, but uh, it, it wasn't a very long game. It didn't take too long to complete. And then there's the Bounty Hunter for GameCube and PS2 from LucasArts. Yeah, this was a pretty cool game. Yeah, this one was... You get to be Django Fett, a bounty hunter, and you're trying to hunt down the Dark Jedi named Komari Vosa. Yeah, it was cool because I, you know, I always liked you know Boba Fett, so it was yeah. cool to take... Uh, you know, to play as uh, Django Fett. You know, and so you get to have a jetpack. Yeah, j- jetpack, and uh, so it's pretty cool. I like that game. wasn't too bad. All right, and then a game that I really, really enjoyed: Jedi Knight Two Jedi Outcast by Raven Software and LucasArts, Windows, Mac, Xbox, GameCube. Raven, those are the people <laughs> who were uh, buddies with Id, right? Yeah. So this is using the Quake Three engine. Do you remember this game, Woody? I actually, I gotta say, I was earlier talking about how I enjoyed Jedi uh, Knight 2 something else, I think, and I like the lightsaber dueling. 
I was completely wrong. This is the game I played, and I really enjoyed this Do you know one. where you played this? Uh, yes, I did. At the same company we all worked at. Yeah, we used to play it. <laughs> Turn the day. <laughs> I remember you guys playing that. Yeah. yeah. It was yeah. a great game, because uh, I just like to walk around and like take my lightsaber and like run along the walls. And yeah, like... you could make graffiti. Yeah, exactly. You could graffiti with your lightsaber. Yeah. It was awesome. So the multiplayer was awesome in this game. It used a Quake 3 engine, and it was, it was a blast. Yes, it was, uh, I guess it was well-received as well um, yeah. for its advanced lightsaber dueling. It was cool how you could use your lightsaber and run around. Yeah. Like the guy used to play it with us all the time. And I thought they did it really well. <laughs> I'm always skeptical of the ability to control a sword. And I know like they're they're touting that on the new Wii system as one of the things. There's games that are going to be with yeah. swords. And that's even getting some um, reviews like it may not be all it's cracked up to be. But if I know doing a sword in a game would be really hard. And in this one, they did it really well. So now we're up to 2003, and we get Rogue Squadron 3, Rebel Strike, from LucasArts and Factor 5 for the GameCube. Yep, just another Rogue Squadron game. And then we have Jedi Academy, again by Raven Software and LucasArts, and that's basically the sequel to Jedi Knight 2. And then we get the uh, sort of breakthrough into the multiple, massively multiplayer online role-playing games. And so we get Star Wars Galaxies. And uh, Star Wars Galaxies, when it first came out, was really criticized because you were sort of limited to being on a planet. Um, You got to do sort of boring things like learn a craft and make money by uh, selling things. And you couldn't be a Jedi. And there were a lot of things people didn't like. But over the the years, uh, it sort of evolved and, and they added some of those features so that as I understand it, I haven't played the game, but as I understand it, now you can fly in space and you can become a Jedi and there's there's a lot and, more you can do. And this was an incredibly anticipated game. Everyone expected it to become like easily the number one MMO out there. Um, I know that the, the Sony hired uh, Ra- Rafe Coster, I believe his name is, to d- be the lead designer on it. He's the guy who designed um, Ultima Online, the original and so, in well respected in the industry, they expected this to be huge, and it's just never lived up to its expectations. I, I, I know quite a few people who really were got addicted to this game the same way they got other people got to addicted to EverQuest. EverQuest, right, yeah. right, and this was the EverQuest killer. And I also remember reading that like one, it sort of it sort of died because uh, they made the changes they kept making. Eventually pissed everyone off. Yeah, and that's, I, I, they have that. I think that's a common problem in the MMOs is they'll keep changing it to fix what they see as problems, but they lose people who like the old gameplay better. Right. But the other people who didn't like it and left never come back. Right. Um, and so that's just one of those common problems they have with all MMOs. Well, and the other problem in the MMO industry is that there's this 800 pound gorilla that's just destroyed every the the everything else, uh, which is every, uh, World of Warcraft. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's just crushing everything. Well, I've never heard of that. What's that? No, I'm just <laughs> no, although I haven't played Star Wars Galaxies, there's one thing I've seen that's based on Star Wars Galaxies that's really cool and really funny, which is that um, some players used Star Wars Galaxies to make a music video. And the music video is based on Vanilla Ice, Ice Ice Baby. And so what they did is they got all their characters together in-game, and they would have their characters move around and dance around and do different things, and then they assembled the footage of this into a music video that syncs up with Ice Ice Baby, and it's really funny. And I think you can probably just find this online if you Google search for YouTube. Star Wars Galaxies, yes. YouTube, Ice, uh, Ice, Ice yeah. Baby. It, if you haven't seen the video, it's really great. All right, so what else came out? Uh, another very popular game, I a believe. A great game called Knights of the Old Republic. So 
this was a role-playing game based on the Star Wars universe, but it takes place uh, in the Old Republic 4,000 years before Episode Four. Yeah. It uses the, uh, you know, as a basis, the Star Wars role-playing game from Wizards of the Coast. Are they around anymore? They used to have Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, they're still big. Yeah, I've, they used to have one at Clackamas. I don't think it's there anymore. Yeah, I don't know about the stores. The company is. I'm still talking about big. the stores. Yeah, yeah, like where they had them. Did Hasbro buy Wizard of the Coast? And they now, sold out to yeah, was it Hasbro? Yeah, or Tyco? One of those. And then, and they also before that, Wizard of the Coast bought all the D and D's. Wizard of the Coast bought out TSR, TSR which was right. the owners of the D and D. Right. Yeah. So anyway, the game is based on the D two D twenty system, a role playing game system derived from the third edition of Dungeons and Dragons rules. So, the combat in this game is is uh, is round based. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. It's yeah. sort of when I started playing this game, I was a little bit surprised by that because you're kind of running around in real time, and but then all of a sudden when you go into combat, it's turn-based combat, and it, it's not that that's a bad thing. It's actually kind of cool. It's just not what I would have expected. I gotta say, for me personally, the turn-based thing—I haven't enjoyed a turn-based game since like Ultima three twenty years ago. That's uh, that's my problem with all the uh, Final Fantasy. So I know I know those are really popular with a lot of people. I can't get into them. But Knights of the Old Republic is a good game. I've played it. I haven't finished it, um, but it's pretty open ended. There's a lot of choices you get to make, yeah. and it has that sort of ethical system where, depending really, on what you do, you become good or evil. I think that it really kind of absorbs you in the in the Star Wars universe, unlike any other game. Yeah, yeah, you know? it does. Like for me, at least, I thought that's the way it was. So, all right, so that kind of goes through the old. We'll call them older. Older games. More, yeah, older <laughs> More games. More mature. Uh, there's a lot of the newer games as well, which is going to hit on real quick because uh, this segment is going on way too long. <laughs> uh, Republic Commando. I don't know if you guys played that at all. More of an action-type game. Didn't uh, play that, but I did play the Battlefront series yeah. on PlayStation 2, and the multiplayer um, online multiplayer of Battlefronts is really, really fun. Yep. Uh, except for the fact that sometimes people deliberately join the opposite team and then kill their teammates and i hate that but um <laughs> what but, are you talking about tom i've never done oh, <laughs> <laughs> but but when people are playing you know honorably it's a fun game um knights of the old republic 2 came out and then lego star wars if you haven't seen lego star wars rent it don't buy it it's great to see it's very cute it gets boring real fast but it's it's kind of cool to see and then empires at war which dave is playing right now just just start playing it yeah. So that. Uh, so I want to mention one other thing about the Star Wars games, it, which is that I have a theory about this. Um, the newer oh no, Star it's Wars games. <laughs> if you notice, have you ever noticed that in the newer Star Wars games, there's more and more uh, where you're fighting against droids rather than fighting against people. And I think that that's to get a different rating on the game because if you're not killing humans, the game doesn't have as as. Uh, Mature rating. That just goes to the fact that George Lucas has lost his edge. He goes back. He <laughs> makes Han Solo a weenie by shooting second at Greedo. You know, it just ruined everything. So it's all got to be honorable. You can't kill people. You got to kill droids. I thought uh, that about the first movie is all droid killing. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's, or it's, episode one rather. He's he's, he's one, lost yeah. his edge. He's lost his creativity. Don't you think that the good guys were primarily fighting against droids was a deliberate ploy to change the rating to not have it be? Well, it was much more of a kids movie, right? Oh yeah. yeah. I, 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 I doubt that that was Movies, a decision made to get a better rating. I think it's George Lucas saying he wants to take the high road and he wants his good guys to not be killing he- people. Um, 
I, so hmm. I, I really doubt it's the rating. I think it's George Lucas trying to uh, raise his. But, but they did come and kill all the Padawans. But that yeah. was the bad guys. But that was the bad guys. That wasn't the good guys. Yeah, but I'm saying that that wouldn't help the rating. Yeah. No, but in the was in the game, if you're playing as the good guys and the good guys only kill mm. droids, then there's no you know violence against humans in the game, mm. or at least not done by the player. All I gotta say, Tom. Call of Duty 2 didn't get a, a mature rating. <laughs> you're it, right, it was and that team. makes no sense, but you're right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so what have we learned by looking back at all these Star Wars games? Nothing. Well, there's a, heck, there's, a lot of them. You know, a lot of Star Wars <laughs> yeah, games. Okay. I've learned that I had no idea how many Star Wars games there really were. There were a lot. And yeah. LucasArts will put Star Wars in anything. That's what yeah. I like. In fact, we skipped a lot of games that they built like you know, specifically for Windows, like desktop-type games and stuff. And, and we also skipped one of my favorites, which was the Star Wars pinball game. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which and, of is, course, we skipped all the games on the handhelds. Right. Yeah. So they, they basically, I, I, I learned that they will put it anywhere. And But to be honest, there are several <laughs> series. What? How, how come there was no Star Wars Tennis? I'm sure. <laughs> With lightsabers? Dude, they had the light, lightsaber yeah, you, game. You, you could use the lightsabers as a racket, and you could bat back and forth one of those little droids yeah. over the net. It would be great. Be totally cool. And Star Wars Golf. Star Wars Golf. Why yeah, wasn't there use a Star your force Wars power golf? to like, yeah. knock it off. Star oh. Wars Mini Golf. They Dude. really missed out. There's no Star Wars Golf, yeah. no Star Wars Tennis. So, I would say that there's a lot of franchises that are great, though. Star Wars Dance Dance Revolution. Yeah. But... <laughs> Just well, I'd say there's a few gems in the make. Yeah, the next, X-Wing but. series. I would say the arcade games I loved. The uh, Knights of the Old Republic. The Episode One Pod Racer. I even think the SNES games. I really enjoyed those as well. So, yeah. um, and of course, uh, Jedi Outcast, um, Jedi Knight Two, Jedi Outcast. But in, in some well. ways, wouldn't you say that that the the Star Wars arcade game, the original Star Wars arcade, is one of the most fun of all. No, yeah, I like that one the best. So again, we invite you all to come onto the forums and tell us how wrong you think we are, and then we'll tell you how wrong you actually are. Yeah. And we really do appreciate everybody listening to the show. You know, yeah, um, thanks for listening. Thanks for commenting on the forums. And uh, See you next time. And uh, if you could, uh, thanks for cutting me off, Tom, but if you could... If you could uh, <laughs> See you next time, Chris. All right. <laughs> it's not time yet. All right. So I just want to say, uh, if you could please go to the iTunes uh, music store and give us some feedback, that'd be great. Uh, Yahoo Good feedback. Po- Good feedback. Yeah, give us positive feedback. And uh, the Yahoo podcast, if you could give us feedback there as well, that'd be great. Uh, we really appreciate it. And uh, we'll see you in two weeks. See you later. Asta.
Hey, retro respect section. So it's time for us to get serious for a moment. Um, Although I usually do call it the retro respect section. We uh, <laughs> we're gonna take a minute here to talk about um, war and what it means. <laughs> what is it good for? Yes, deep. deep Absolutely thoughts. nothing. Um, specifically, Star Wars. Star All right. Wars. <laughs> Can <laughs> move over a little bit, dude. You <laughs> Was there ever a game based on space balls? I don't think so. Yeah, Star Wars. Maybe there should have been. Yeah. Is there something that... on your roof? What is that noise? <laughs> Rainier. Reindeers. <laughs> Reindeer. Santa's <Elves>. here. Elves. <laughs> Santa. It's all being recorded. Say something. Dumb about Chris. Bad. Um, Chris is, uh, he's pretty cool. I, I, I disagree. All right. All I right. disagree. Fair enough. Yeah. Chris. Are you listening to this, Chris? <laughs> Chris? Can you hear me now? Amy has something to say to you, Chris. Chris? The movie was very good. Why did what the oh you're back. Are you being Amy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she said the movie was good. <laughs> was it Devil Wears Prada? Maybe it won't dominate the conversation. Doubt that. I've always hated you. Well. <laughs> Good. <clears throat> so there probably aren't very many games based on Star Wars, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Alright, it's time for the retro respect section. What are we talking about this time? We're getting a little serious tonight. We're talking about war, comma star. Okay. It's time for the retro respect <laughs> section. <laughs> Everybody's serious now. Don't think about what Dave just did. That was really funny. Wasn't that funny? <laughs> now Maybe. You, now, you, now you're saying it's funny. It's a lot more funnier. Like, yeah. Go ahead. More funnier. It was more funnier. Like that belch <clears throat> in the during the interview. I got. It. 